Temple Weekly Review. This week we're reviewing free albums. The first one is Osama Kitajima's Ben Zaiten album released in possibly 1974, possibly 1976, bit complicated. The second one is going to be White Ward's Love Exchange Failure released in 2019. And the third is going to be a 2021 album. It is Mare Incognitum's, I did say that right, um, Solar Paroxysm, I believe. Did I get it right? I did. I'm so confident. So, Floyd, what did you think of the albums? That, for one fact that I thought was really cool, so the um, Kitajima's Ben Zaiten. Mm -hmm. uh, so he is a multi-instrumentalist and he done most of the music, but he did have a session bassist who was a guy called Harumi Hosono, yeah. who was a grandchild of the sole passenger, Japanese passenger and survivor of the Titanic. That's oh. sick. I thought that was a super cool fact. That's really cool. <laughs> that is cool, yeah. I actually have a list of all the people who played on this album, and it's a really long list because there's loads of really interesting instruments. I don't know if you if you saw them, but basically you have. So this is this is what um, Kitajima plays. He plays on his own acoustic guitar, synthesizer, percussion, electric guitar, koto, biwa, African and Mexican drums, electric and electric drums, and I th I'm assuming he does some vocals as well. You got two different bassists, another Biwa player, another African drum player, a Suzumi drum player, a Narimono drum player, electric bass, electric guitar, Hayashibue flute, and you've got Shakahuchi, I think, if I'm saying it right. Yeah, Shakahachi. Yeah. Shakahachi, and then Sho. Um, so you, there's a lot of instrumentation on this album. Yeah. That's kind of crazy, because like, at times I listen to it, and I actually think it sounds kind of minimalist, so <laughs> it's kind of impressive how they've managed to fit all that shit in. Yeah, at times it's quite ambient and quite sparse, but I think that's part of the appeal of the album. Um, as, as I was mentioning a bit off camera, um, a lot of the music, and I, I don't mean this as a diss, but it does remind me of uh, some of the instrumentation of the Dynasty Warriors games. And they actually also use a lot of these traditional instruments listed, like which is why I'm vaguely familiar with a few of them. Mm. Like the show, which is, I think is like a, like a reed flute type thing, and that's got a really cool sound. And the shakuhachi is quite a, a popular. It's a beautiful flute sound, yeah. Yeah. And it's um, just really like, it reminds me, have you ever seen the movie Battle of Red Cliff? I think I have. It's super, it's super cool. Yeah. Like it's got, I would say outside of Lord of the Rings, it's got some of the best like cinematic battle scenes. Yeah. And there's a really intense scene where they're playing like, I think it might be the koto, which is like the um, kind of the, the, the flat string instrument. It's beautiful. And, they're, yeah. and they're having like a duel with each other. It's like a really, it's like the most intense instrument scene in a movie ever. But like, I think the, what I like about this album is you can tell it's very steeped in traditional Japanese music and it's cool to hear. Kind of similar to how Carmen was last week with the flamenco mm. sound. I feel like this is a similar sort of take, but with obviously a different sort of geographical location from this time of being in Japan. And you could definitely tell that there's a lot of 70s influence on this album as well. Like, Huge amount, yeah. Because a lot of the tracks um, don't have too much guitar work, but the ones that do, so it's the first track, uh, Ben Zaiten, Gods of Music and Water, like the um, the uh, it had the really good build up, and like when the electric guitar came in, like you know, it definitely had that sort of seventies flair and groove to it. And like there is moments as well. There was another track that I really, I think it was actually um, reprise. No, it was the last track, Huma Immortality. Yeah, that um, had some really nice kind of subtle guitar work that was providing like some of the rhythm section and some of the background groove to all of the traditional. 
kind of cool shit that was going on. Yeah, what I read of um, Kitajima's like kind of vision was that he was actually fusing Western guitar and like um, funk and psychedelic music with traditional Japanese. So it's like if you listen to some of the like acoustic guitar on the album, it's like super funky. Yeah. Uh, you can you can so basically a few years before this album, Kitajima moved to the UK for a year. Um, and when he was here for a year, he changed his name to Justin Heathcliff. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah like... it's so sweet. Because he was like, oh, this sounds more like English and cool. And he released an album under that name in 71. But then yeah. he thankfully reverted back to his like true... I don't know if, I don't know if that's like, the right... True. His true identity. <laughs> true am, I, am I dead naming Kitajima? I shouldn't do that. But, um, Heathcliff and me. Heathcliff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the... But yeah, basically, he, he I think he had like... Um, he just loved the music. He loved Tyrannosaurus, Tyrannosaurus Rex and the Beatles, and he just loved the music in, in the UK at the time. And yeah. he was so inspired by that, he just like tried to be that music. But yeah, I think he came into his own with Ben Zaiten being his first truly, like his actual, reverting, it's his name now, so it's his true name. I think that's like the best way to say it. Um, so yeah, like it's cool that he chose this album and chose to have his name, and he's going, not being like Justin Heathcliff, which is like a really, I don't know, it's always sad. I can, I can relate to wanting to change who you are to fit in because you love something, but he's doing it through his own, own tradition and his own history, and I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. What if he read Wuthering Heights? And <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that was yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I just think of Justin Oborn, though, when I, when I see any, anyone called Justin now. I just imagine that he looked like Justin from Electric Wizard. It's, it's Justin Sorry. Broderick for me. Yeah. That's what, uh, when I hear the name Justin, that's what I'm thought of. Uh, if you ask my brother, it'd be Justin Timberlake because he's the biggest fan of good old JT. Crimey River. <laughs> it's a good song, to be fair. We should review that one song for a whole <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just one episode, just Crimey River, yeah, completely Temple. deconstructed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the time signature at 2.35. Yeah, no, I don't think we will do that unless someone really wants us to. Um, I'll tell you what else uh, kind of I liked about the album. I liked it. Kind of sounded a bit like sort of army drill style vocal shouting, which I think is the, the shouting is really cool. It's great because it just I think yeah. it's another layer of kind of authenticity that kind of adds to the feel of the album. It reminds me of a Japanese theatre with the masks. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I think of, and like the the drumming. So like the beginning, the album's structured really interestingly, and I think I think the name of the album is really important too, especially given in through my interpretation of like Kitajima's timeline of like changing his name and then going back. I think he wrote, he released this in America. I think he might have moved to California and he started his own like, he was like working with studios. He's worked with like a lot of big record labels too, like Warner, Sony, EMG. He yeah. wrote the soundtrack for Samurai Cowboy. Well. Oh shit, did that. He's done a few like um, TV soundtracks and worked on like some, some big stuff. And he's released at least 20 albums. So his most recent album was released last year and he went more into new age music. Yeah. So I think that's where you hear the space in this album and like the, the kind of openness and it's like very simple and then building up into these like complex, like psychedelic crescendos of incredible awesomeness. I think, I think he went further away. But then like the second album after this is like kind of more psych and less Japanese, but still with the Japanese yeah. imagery. I'm rambling, but bear with me, because Ben Zaiten is a really interesting goddess. Um, they're, a, they're a lady serpent spirit guide in um, Japanese culture. She's basically a kami, which is a kind of Shinto god, and the god yeah. of music and water, which is apt 
given how the album goes. Um, and on the cover you see this lady with like this beautiful Biwa guitar and you've got the, the sun behind her and the, the sea around her. And the interesting thing about Ben Zeitin is that like they're a syncretic god. So they're a god that's like existed in three different religions. So she comes from a Hindu goddess, Saraswati, who's also a water goddess. And then I think the, she's also in Buddhism as well as Hinduism and Shinto. And there's like kind of a history where she, her, Saraswati became Ben Zeitin, and I think Ben Zeitin's name changed, then came back again. So it's kind of like a full circle name change thing going on, yeah. which is really cool. And then all the, the names of the other songs, they're all things to do with like Shinto and Japanese culture, like Tengu, and then, I mean, Tengu's really cool. We'll talk about Tengu in a second. <laughs> yeah, I was reading about them. I thought you loved yeah. Tengu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's Tengu and then in brackets a long nose goblin, which I love. It's such a good name for an, for a, a song. But yeah, all the all the songs have translations in brackets. So it's Benzaiten, God of Music and Water, Tayo the Sun, Tengu a long nose goblin, Benzaiten is the reprise, and then you've got Boma, which is immortality. So it's like a really interestingly structured album in that respect. Yeah. Do you know what I think is really cool? Because it's like if you ask anybody sort of our generation about Japanese culture, they'll think of like the hyper like almost westernized version of Japan. It's yeah. like really prevalent now, that's what Japan is known for. But like it's so cool when you see shit that really delves into like the, the history of the more kind of um I'm not sure if it was the Shogun or the Emperor era, which is the older one, I forget, my brain's leaving me at the moment. Mm -hmm. But but like all that stuff is really cool. Like I I've been to Japan before. Like I can't remember if you've been to Japan. No, I would love to go. It's super cool. And me and my partner went to a um we went we stayed in Tokyo, which is super cool because it's great to see like a different take on like a, a westernized city. Because I feel like when you go to a lot of other cities, they're they're very similar and they've got similar kind of a vibe and atmosphere and even like a structure. But like Japan do things differently. So even the city was interested. But the real cool part was when we went to a coastal town called Kamakura. And it had one of, if not the biggest bronze statue Buddha in the world. His name was Daibatsu. Yeah. Maybe Zaibatsu, I can't remember. Should have done so some cool. research beforehand. But but because um, my partner speaks a fair amount of uh, Japanese, so uh, we, we went to like a local shop, and she says, "Oh, there's a really good like um, it's, it's an old like kind of um, dilapidated temple that's quite high up on the hill because obviously Japan's." Unfortunately, has a lot of tsunamis and a lot of coastal damage from so a lot of the old structure structures have been completely um, just sort of eroded and eradicated. But we went to the the remnants of this temple and even said stuff like, "Oh, some of the locals are a bit superstitious about it because they think it's inhabited by jinns because and it's a bit cursed." But we went and it was just super cool just to see you know a part of the old Japan, which I which is what I feel like this album is kind of touching on. You know, it's like some of the, the religious and spiritual aspects. Of the country. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating and I think a lot of, um, I think some from mythologies have just been overly plumbed when it comes to music. Like we already know about like the Western dragons and a lot, of, like, <laughs> a lot of like fake pagan stuff. Yeah, Norse mythology, I'm fucking done. Like I don't need to, like, if I want to learn about Norse mythology, I'll watch uh, the MCU. Uh, thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> The most in-depth exploration possibly <laughs> yeah. <get. laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, people using runes that were like not even Norse and stuff like that. And I, I'm just sick of seeing, uh, like the problem is a lot of it's been co-opted by people who have a, a very negative agenda as well. And yeah. like, this is so refreshing. It's so nice to see like metal, well, it's not even metal, but like heavy, this is heavy music in my opinion. There are times where it's not heavy, but 
there are bits of this album that are heavy as fuck. Like, because, I'm sorry, 70s rock is heavier than so much metal today. You can come and knock on my door and scream at me, but it is. And do you know what's cool? Like, cause I, I've noticed that the production of the album is really cool compared to a lot of modern releases because the guitar is quite bad. There's not much reverb or effects. Like, you know, the guitar is there and it's kind of like purest essence and I think that's really cool and fits in quite well with a lot of the traditional instrumentation that's going on. And I think you're right. It's definitely a heavy album and you could definitely see how music like this and I hate to say it again, but there's parts of it that even remind me of Opeth, like in yeah. the way that uh, Carmen did last week. Yeah, right. And... Um, and I was like, you could just totally see like the natural progression of how this evolved into some of the heavier forms of music that people listen to today. I think Frog gets a really bad reputation because of bands like maybe Dream Theater and stuff like that, like taking stuff, like I think they, they got the wrong end of the Prog stick. They didn't get the like, I think Prog, the best bits of Prog are when people take the music and they, they express something they want to express about their identity or a feeling in a unique way. Whereas I think sometimes some bands are just like, oh, let's just do a 10 minute drum solo <laughs> because we can. Like, I think there's a space for that, but I think that kind of eclipsed the, the kind of really awesome stuff and like kind of stops people from delving into the, like there's an insane treasure trove of prog that I haven't even uh, barely touched on. Yeah, it's it's interesting how even the definition of prog has kind of morphed over the years because yeah. in essence, like prog kind of just means experimental and doing right. things that are progressive. Mm. And even like you mentioned Dream Theater, but it's even got to a point now where prog is used to describe gent music. Yeah. Like that's now progressive music. And imagine, I was going to do this trope post the other day. I was going to put like a picture of a Meshuggah album. I was like, thank God for, thank God gent is around because we wouldn't have bands like Meshuggah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, and yeah, I mean, this is prog in the truest sense. Like, you yeah. know, it's, and that's one of the things that kind of irks me a little bit about with um, kind of genre classifications. Like, terms are kind of limited in scope now and applied to things which actually don't even really make sense. But, like, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm just really just repeating what you said. <laughs> Feel free, I like it. I like it when people agree with me. No, it's, um, I really like the flow of the album. Like I said, it was quite, um, there's moments that were quite ambient and minimalist, but I think, you know, I always appreciate album with a lot of albums with a lot of colour and dynamics, and I like how you've got the quieter sections and there's nice sort of crescendos, mm -hmm. which is, and they're very tasteful about when the guitars are used, yeah. which is what I like. You know, they're used at the moments that tend to be a bit more crescendo-esque and then kind of comes crashing back down with something a bit more kind of even cinematic at times. Yeah. I thought the last track was quite cinematic and ends with applause, which I thought was quite strange. I didn't it's know like it was a, a live track. Or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting, the structure, because you've got the first song, Ben where he's like setting out the kind of, um, like the building blocks of the album, like you kind of hear all the instruments, it's all very kind of restrained and like, you, it does feel cinematic. It's like the beginning of a film where you're like panning across like the Shire or something. Yeah. You know, but this isn't any way similar to Lord of the Rings. But um, and then you've got like Tayo where like things are slowly building up, and then Tengu where you have this sense of like um, dread almost. Yeah. It's like kind of a, a like a darker track, and then it's like like you, you're building, you're building, you get like a little bit of a oh my gosh, what's this? This weird like psychedelic world un unveils itself, and then Ben Zion is when everything starts to crescendo. You've got like you've got everything I think building up in like this incredible complex way. But there are bits of the album where you have these rises and dips, and then bits where like you don't even know what's going on. You're just so immersed in it 
like the music stops being it's like when you read a book and you stop reading the words and yeah. you just start seeing the book i don't know if you get that yeah but i get that with this album is you stop hearing the music and you start seeing what's happening that is so so true because like even in the first track like the first thing i thought was this sounds like a rising sun yeah. it's like it sounds like you yeah, could just picture like a landscape with just the sun's just coming up over the horizon so yeah i totally uh, agree with what you just said Awesome. I want to talk about Tengu, a long-nosed goblin. <laughs> it's cool. I've done a bit of research. There's a lot to take in because, like, it's, uh, it seems to have, like, the definition of Tengu seems to have changed quite a lot over the years because it's, I think it originated in China, right, originally, right, and then mm. by the time it got to Japan, it took on a different meaning. But... It seems like a lot of stuff in, like, the, the words anywhere, I don't know much about Shinto or any of those cultures and religions, but it seems like a lot of it is like passed around from China and India and the Silk Road and like meanings change throughout time and I think that's really interesting about it and I was re so I was reading about Tango because I was like what is this cool sounding long nose goblin I love goblins um, and anything with a long nose I, I relate to so um, so yes, a tengu apparently means heavenly dog or heavenly sentiment, sen sentimental, heavenly sentinel. And the legendary Japanese creatures considered a kind of supernatural being called a yokai or a kami, like the kami are more, I think, gods in Shinto. In Buddhism, um, there's a belief that they're disruptive demons and harbingers of war. The image is gradually softened, however, into one of protective, if still dangerous, spirits of the mountains and forests, and they're usually depicted as birds of prey with long beaks. And they do legit look like goblins, it's weird to say, like a goblin bird, but they just have these like weird cool wings and these strange faces. And I was reading about some like Tengu stories, yeah. and there's, I was saying, there's just really, there's, there's two I really like. Yeah. Um, I'll try not to ramble on them, but there's one of, and I'm gonna, I'm really sorry, Tengu mythologists, I'm probably gonna butcher these stories. But there's one of a guy. It's like those shrimp uh, scientists, there'll be a Tengu uh, mythologist out there somewhere. They're like banging their fists <laughs> on the table, this girl's doing it wrong! <laughs> yeah. So forgive me, Tengu mythologists. Um, but there's a guy, and he's got a tumour on his nose. And he goes to the forest and he bumps into some tengu having a party yeah. and he basically gets pissed with these tengu and they kind of dance around for the evening and they have a really good time and the tengu are like they want this guy to come back the next day so they're like come back tomorrow we'll give you a present and they, they steal the tumor on his nose thinking that he will have to come back to get it because they don't realize the tumor's bad they're like ah. we'll take this from the man so he comes back to hang out with us the guy goes back to the village and his tumor's gone he's like i'm cured um, and his neighbour, who's like this grumpy, horrible farmer, who also has a tumour on his nose, what a coincidence, is like, oh, I need to go find these tengu and get my tumour removed. So he goes into the woods to try and find these tengu, and the tengu think that he's come to steal his neighbour's gift, because they told the other guy, I'll come back, we'll give you a gift. Yeah. So the tengu are like, this guy is very disrespectful, so we're going to give him the tumour, we're going to give it back to him. So, so the guy comes back and he's got two tumours on his nose. <laughs> well, that's bad luck. That's fantastic. I think that's like a great story. They remind me of Jim, I really like them. And there's like another one of a guy who um, is, I think he's walking in the mountains and he bumps into a tengu and they have like a really intense, deep conversation. And the tengu's like, what is your greatest fear? And the guy is like, he thinks it's a trick, so he's like, my greatest fear is gold and mochi. <laughs> and then the Tengu's like, hmm, okay, and the Tengu tells the, the guy what his actual fear is. 
And then, but the Tengu thinks that the guy's gonna trick him, so the Tengu makes it rain golden mochi to scare the other guy away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so mochi sweet. Mochi is a delicious like rice. Has that existed that long? I guess so. Oh fuck! It's really yummy. Yeah, I do like mochi. I love mochi. Check out mochi when you can. Um, I'm sure there's a bank called mochi. There's got to be. Yeah, check them out too. No, I've never listened to them. Me too. I'm sure they're good though. They're not as good as the food, which they have to be. <laughs> Yeah, um, so yeah, like, you know, Tengu just seem like funny, cool demons. I read, so they're quite mischievous then, based yeah. on those two stories. I read that they, um, well, what stuck out to me was that sometimes they're kind of like, like the spirits of priests and people mm. that are, are slightly sinful and too Monks. greedy and prideful yeah. turn into Tengus. And I thought that was kind of cool. You know, that reminds me of the, what was that thing called? The, the, the frog with the lily pad. That like angry probes people. Uh, Kappa. A Kappa. Have you read about Kappa? I have never fucking heard of that in my life. Can I Google Kappa on your phone? They've got a recess, so they've weird. got a dip in the top of their head, when, and there's a puddle. They're Japanese the as well. Yeah, and if if they um, they subsist by sucking intestines out of children's asses, <laughs> and they're mischievous, <laughs> rather than just demonic. Rather than just demonic, mischievous frogs. Yeah, they're seen as yeah, but they um, but they uh, yeah. If you push them over and the puddle falls out the top of their head, they die. That's that's mental. They're really weird looking. They're really prevalent. In, yeah, like in this is what they look like. They're like. <laughs> I mean, there's like a cute anime version, and then there's a version yeah. that's like ripping limbs off people in a river. That's his. That's his um head puddle. Oh, look, he's about to suck this the intestines out of that man's bum. This will be great for the podcast. I'm sorry, we could probably cut it. In <laughs> no, we can leave it in. Nah, I can put the picture of it up. Somewhere, yeah. somewhere, the dude from Frog Lord is taking notes, thinking. Bum intestines. If I if I heard about this when I was a child, because I am obsessed with frogs, as, as we both are, then that looks like that's terrifying. <laughs> oh my god, look at that. That's creepy. There's one where he's cradling, cool. I think, a courgette. <laughs> he's just. He's just kind of like, I don't know if he's playing it like a, like a harp or if he's just really... But yeah, Kappa are really weird. Um, That's super cool though. If I saw, if I heard about this as a child, I might not have been as obsessed with frogs. <laughs> or maybe more obsessed with They're turtles though, they're not frogs. Oh, they're the turtles, sorry. Yeah. I think sometimes they look kind of frog-like. Yeah, they're just kind of amphibious type creatures. But I think they're generally more considered giant turtles. Turtles are reptilian, not amphibious. Whatever. Right? Uh, I, I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> well, no, they're am, amphibious. Amphibious is just something. Turtles are reptiles. But you know, if, you, if you can't an amphibious reptile. No, but if something's an amphibian, isn't it just a creature that lives in water? It's like an amphibian. You've got mammals, amphibians, reptiles, reptiles. and birds. Yeah. They're they're a different taxonomic group. Yeah, but wouldn't like um, uh, a platypus be an amphibious? A mammal? platypus is a mammal. It's an amphibious mammal because it lives in water. In water. But I think a platypus is one of those animals that are kind of like weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good example. Well, you know the first like time... The exception that proves the rule. You, you know the first time a platypus... A platypus... A <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's great. Uh, <laughs> I, he's lost it. <laughs> It's only 20 minutes in and I'm glad I've made it this far. Do you know what's really fucking annoying? All these fucking complicated names I've remembered and memorized this week. And I was like, oh, it's great. I'll just, I'll just, I've been spending too much time trying to get the names right. That's fucking up normal words. But the 
first time a platypus was discovered. <laughs> Will you concentrate on it, It's just like your face. Like when you, when you, you kind of, you just get disappointed in yourself. I know. It's You're just like, oh. <laughs> oh god. Oh my life. God. <laughs> First time it was discovered on record. I don't even say it. First time this creature was discovered on record. Uh, some dude went up to it and tried to pull its beak off. Because it's not, <laughs> He lost some of the glue to like a duck's bill to a beaver or something. Oh, <laughs> so that cool. They're really cute. Have you seen a baby platypus? They're oh, really, so cute. they're really fucking cute. They are. You know, apparently they, they get um the one that you just put aspirin out was their anal glands. No. Yeah. See, I was drinking, so I didn't catch any part of that sentence you just said, apart from anal glands. <laughs> well, that's what you say. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I think mean, they extract part of aspirin from the anal glands. Oh, no way. Yeah, cool. so there's some med medicinal property to their bums. Is that like, um, what you, what's whale vomit called again? Oh, ambergris. Ambergris, yeah. That's not medicinal, it just smells really good. Yeah, they use that for perfume, don't they? And it's like super expensive. It's one of the most expensive substances in the whole world. Yeah, my, my cousin's a partner. They found um, some. They thought they found some on the beach near Devon Whoa. and they actually made the papers and stuff because if it was legit, you would have been talking some serious money, yeah. like a couple hundred grand, uh, but now it's fake. Oh, fake <laughs> so, ambergris. No. Strikes again. That's <laughs> <laughs> what so that could be like a spate of fake ambergris crime. That should be the ambergris lawyer. So you've got shrimp scientist, ambergris lawyer, and, uh, and a tengu uh, mythologist. Tengu mythologist. I want to be like an ex boss job. I love it. Tengu mythologist. Yeah, that's great. I mean, Tengu is obviously, I think, my, my favourite track. I think Ben Zoyton's the, the reprise is the best track. I think I may agree with you there because I think um, I love whoever was playing the shakuhachi, which I believe is the instrument that was used near the end of this track, is going absolutely fucking ham. Like yeah. they're doing like full, like jazz solo losing their shit while playing it and I thought that was super cool. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah there's like loads of jazz influence in this as well. There's like so many different things. This guy, um, apart from releasing a billion albums, very a lot, um, he, he earned a doctorate in, I think, music, it's not music theory, it was music therapy. Music therapy, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. I would love for this guy to give me music therapy. Yeah, that's cool. That's kind of similar to what my mum was kind of doing. She was doing like singing therapy. Oh, wow. So when she had pneumonia, she was referred to like the singing group that were wow. focusing on, similar to like the Wim Hof sort of techniques. Mm. So like transformational breathing and, you know, like probably utilizing your, you know, filling up your lungs with air. And, and it's really, 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 really helped her anyway. And she was saying there were some people in the class that would come in and, you know, when they first joined, they'd be like hunched over and, you know, like really like out of breath. and by the end of the class and after a few months they would just be completely so there's a lot to be said for like musical therapy and yeah. like I'm, I'm sure what he's doing is probably something different to that but like it just shows like how important music is and i feel like you know not to go on a mad tangent here i feel like that's one of the things that's been really uh, tough mentally this year is not having live music and and shit i mean you can always listen to it but i think there's a certain energy you kind of get from watching live music that kind of mm. reaches what feels like the soul when not the soul is a real thing is it's contestable but yeah so it's just, it's just that's quite a cool fact yeah it's really awesome i think this guy 
it's definitely qualified, judging by his the albums. He's got 25 albums. I think I've listened to about three or four of them. So I need to. I'm used to bands only having three or four albums. <laughs> <laughs> when was the first time you listened to them? Because this was my first time. Ten years ago. Oh wow! See, yeah. yeah. I've been a fan of, of um, Kitajima for a while, but I, I'm a very casual fan. Even if I love, I love. This is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just that kind of fan where I'm very lazy. Yeah. And I just kind of let music find. I get a bit like that. I get to this point where if I'm like one album behind. Mm-hmm. Then I'm just like, oh fuck, I can't be oh, bothered. Oh wait, oh wait, yeah. 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 I can be like that. I think there's only like a handful of bands where I'd immediately check their album out if they dropped it. I mean, if this yeah. guy, because he went kind of more new agey, so I, I think when someone's got 25 albums as their discography, I'm less likely to listen to everything. Just too much. It's just yeah. when are you going to have the time really to exactly. listen to that? I think Osric Tentacles are a similar band. They've also got like 5,000 different albums. So I would just yeah. like put them on shuffle, and then I'll just like whatever comes on. Yeah, it's like the body as well. Like, not only are they releasing their own albums, but every time I look, there's a new collaboration of some random yeah. artist, and I'm like, can't keep up with the shit. Yeah, like, for a while I thought there wasn't the body, I thought it was the body slash and some random <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I'll tell you one, else, one other thing I want to mention quickly about the album, uh, before we kind of round up here, was that uh, I really like the use of uh, the kind of traditional percussion on this album. So There's a lot of like really interesting like China hits and stuff and mm-hmm. just it just sounds super cool and like just adds to the feeling of authenticity. You know, I just think I'm always impressed when a band or a group or a person manages to um, uh, combine like just two completely, not even completely different styles, but just meld two styles that hadn't previously been done before. And it's just crazy, like, because looking at Carmen last week and... Um, even Atomic Rooster. It's just so crazy to hear that people have been doing, that people were making shit that was so groundbreaking almost five decades ago now. Yeah, it's like music now isn't, I, I, I probably I sound like a boomer, but like music now, <laughs> a lot of the time doesn't even touch like how great some of that music was. Did you think it's the, the digital aspect of it all? Maybe? I don't know. I think it's probably a mix of different things. I think back then it was harder to make an album, so you're probably going to want to, spend more time on it so i think that's partly it and also i think maybe it's not that less people were making music because it was a lot easier in some ways to get a record deal back then yeah because the music industry was so you have you found some beautiful um that acid mother's temple covered ben's item that's cool did they yeah that's really cool yeah i had no idea i would love to see us performed live i bet it'd be incredible for sure but yeah, like, um, I think there's a lot of different factors. And also back then, I think, just politically and generally, like, it was just after the Summer of Love. Yeah, yeah. So people, I think, were just in a different headspace. Whereas now, we're, like, recovering from Brexit and trying not to do Nazi <laughs> Germany again. Yeah. So and financially and space. emotionally crippled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Whereas I think, you know, back then, people were in, felt more free. I think people were more culturally accepting, ironically, in some ways than others. Um, so yeah, I think like this kind of music, like Carmen and Rooster and people being this free of themselves with like, cause some, like Atomic Rooster had number one hits and stuff like that. Yeah. And Carmen as well. They, I think they had like a top 10 hit. Those bands were super popular. Whereas now like Black Sheep Wall aren't going to make like Top of the Pops. No. Yeah. yeah you're not going to see Lingua Nota and the <laughs> yeah. newest copy of Smash Hits. <laughs> I wish. That that's like, that's such a boomer reference. I think the Smash Hits probably haven't existed for like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> 
But no, you're right. And you know, like, I don't know if you've even tried to listen to uh, chart music these days. No. It's funny because I never thought I would get to the point that I wouldn't know what was on the charts. Mm. But I've totally got to the stage where I'm just like, I have no fucking clue who any of these people are, bar when like Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift releases a song. Because I've heard of them through osmosis because I've got, unfortunately, got many people in my life who enjoyed their music. Um, and it's not too bad. And it is what it is. But like looking at chart music now, and it's very like homogenous and just it's got that same. It's like whatever is, and it's it's kind of always been this way, I suppose. But whatever is flavor of the month in the music industry, that's what dominates the chart. Yeah. Until something else comes along, but it's just it's just way too electronic and overproduced now. I think most chart music, but and yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be very unlikely we're going to see anything of this ilk or something as groundbreaking as this ever permeate the mainstream music world. I think maybe in like another 50 years. I think it will, yeah. we will need some kind of social change and like I think a lot of stuff has to happen before we get to a point where like this kind of music is mainstream if yeah. it ever happens. But I do hope it does, even if I'm like 80 when it happens. Yeah. Well, Architects just had number one album, didn't they? Oh, they're That's so groundbreaking. That's a good fucking point. No, I mean, some of their stuff was. They're not is now, it? but they were in the past. To me, like, Architects is nowhere, like, comparable to... No, of like, course not, no. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, it's not... It's not. It's good complete. that that's happening. Yeah. But, like, like, Bring Me The Horizon, didn't they, for number one? To me, one? though, that kind of music is mainstream. Oh, yeah, it's like it a, is. A, a no, you're right. I don't mean it that way, but, like, the, it's not the kind of music where it's out there in terms of, Sure, like, yeah, of I'm course. sure, like, a builder who's only <laughs> listened to Taylor Swift yeah, yeah. for their whole life since they were born, before Taylor Swift existed, would think that Architects is, like, super progressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the problem is that just... I mean, are we just talking about this country or just in general? I like... think we're talking very generally. I don't think, like, it really matters what we think as well, mm. if that makes sense. Because we're not really qualified. Yeah. So well, I think, because, like, in, like, like, is it Finland? Like, metal records just... Metal super They're just regularly... they got the most there. metal bands, like, yeah. per capita, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Finland is just rife. But are we talking about metal or are we talking about like progressive music? Because there's progressive metal and then there's progressive yeah. everything. Yeah, if you're just talking about like actual like, artistic exploration, then yeah. I think I'm talking about like heavy progressive music. Because this is heavy, but it's not metal, if that makes sense. But this pre definitely precursors metal. is 100% metal that's influenced by this particular album, I would argue. Do you know, I'd say things like Architects, so it's a step in kind of like the right direction. Yeah. I feel yeah, like, that's, um, yeah. the one direction. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, um, it's funny because like um, Adam Levine from Maroon Five, you know that, that, that great um, underground death metal band. <laughs> but, uh, they um, he's come out with a few uh, suspect statements. He might have been taken out of context, but he like said a few years back, "Oh, there's just no rock bands about that. I rock is dead." Yeah, and, yeah, uh, the only thing interested in music is hip hop. No, but he's he's right. If, like, if you actually really think about it, if you don't take metal bands as rock bands, like when's the last time you heard a good rock band? Well, see, uh, ah, he's right. Like maybe to accept Greta Van Fleet are pretty big. No, they're horrible. Led Zeppelin too. Yeah, they're not a real band. I refuse to accept the Greta Van Fleet. And uh, what was that? What's that two-piece group? It's just the. Is it Royal Blood? That's just the yeah, guitarist yeah, and the drummer. They were kind of making rock, waves no for a bit. But, <laughs> but that's the hottest year in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I actually fucking hate a lot of rock music, like yeah. a lot of rock derivatives. Like, I can't stand indie He's or right. Brit pop. Good or... rock bands became metal bands. I feel like it's been Americanized yeah. rock. I think when rock was kind of like, oh god, I sound racist, but grittier. I think when like the London, I don't know. I think London is if you've got like the London kind of 
rock bands that were coming out in like the mid-century or past that. Like, I think, I feel like compared to Hollywood, where it's like a crushing boot machine, where like, if you're a Hollywood band, I feel like the culture over there is different if you're in, in showbiz. I think like they're more money obsessed, whereas here, you can control a lot of the bands in the early, early days. Like the band would just do what they fucking wanted. Like Queen, you know, they just did what they wanted and that's kind of why they were successful. And like, what was it? Was it Sharon Osbourne's dad that was like, you'll never be successful to Queen? Because they, they wanted to release, I think, Bohemian Rhapsody, and he was like, I'm not releasing this, I'm dropping your, I'm dropping this. Mm. And you will never release an album or be on the radio again. And it was, like, fucking massive. I love the, um, that's a lot like the story about The Doors, where they yeah. played the Ed Sullivan show, and he was like, you can't say, girl, we're going to get higher, you can't reference taking drugs. And it was a live recording, and he just did it. And then Ed, afterwards, Ed Sullivan was fuming. He's like, you're never going to play the Ed Sullivan show ever again. And Jim Morrison went... We just played the Ed Sullivan show, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. It's right? so sick. Yeah. I feel like you can't do that now. You, you can. Hollywood. I mean, that's trolling. To an extent, right? right? There's trolling before trolling was a thing. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like I think there's so much pressure on a band now to like do what they're told in terms of PR that like they're less. I feel like it's just more homogenized, and like there's, there are a dime a dozen, you can just make a new boy band, a new boy rock band, and then just replace them if they don't do what the PR tells them to do, if they don't displease the label. That, that's how I kind of feel about like groups like Baby Metal though. Cause, that like, happens a lot in Japan and Korea. Yeah, because like, they've got schools. Yeah, they've got that's almost like factories, isn't it? Just yeah. it's a complete like industry where they're just like groomed from a young age to like be these superstars. It's like an idol school, right? And they have yeah. to sign a contract. And they've got to maintain a certain weight, and they've got to like if they if they don't accept plastic surgery, then they're dropped. And if they do, they have to repay the cost of the plastic surgery oh, with the profits they make so when they. It's, and like I think it was like an interview of a girl who went through it, and she was like, it ruined her life. Yeah. And that's so fucked. I mean, like, why would you want to support anything that is, you know, kind of propagating shit like that? And I, I'm not saying baby metal are doing that, by the way, because yeah. I'm sure they, they might have a different situation. But like, but that is kind of the vibe I get off of them. And I remember there was a period where you couldn't criticize baby metal without being called an elitist. And it's just like, no, 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 wait. I'm allowed to fucking not like this band. I don't have to like this shit yeah. just because it's kind of... And, you know, it's just, it's just not for me. I've never enjoyed the music. I'm not going to go and bash them publicly because I dislike the music. I think there's another thing, another thing to factor in, which is if you're talking about, um, you know, you're talking about like rock and rock bands and we're talking about progressive bands from the 70s, right? right? Well, now you've got like video game culture, right? And like that just didn't exist back then. It wasn't a thing. So if you wanted to get into any kind of cultural touchstone, it would have to be music. Whereas you have people now who just like, they're not like, they're not connecting with music in the same way. And there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, I just like, you know, I don't know, Zelda or whatever. <laughs> you know, and I think that like music is now, it's really interesting, but I feel like genera generationally, it's so interesting for me to see younger people, like when you interviewed Cam, who's like, his music taste is as, as good as, if not better than mine now, but he's the age he is, and like he can just go online and he's like, oh, the best Morbid Angel albums, this and this and this, and like, he's got the best taste in death metal, and it took me years to do that. 
you know? So I just think younger people are just kind of lapping this a bit and it's just a bit annoying to be like, okay, well, I had to listen to loads of CDs for years. I didn't have Spotify for a long time, so I had to just kind of work my way through loads of crap and they're not having to do that anymore. They're getting to the distillation. I think it depends because like I had that, I had one friend who had really good taste in music Shout out Lewis Cranmore I Tom. <laughs> it was just like, listen to Bolt Thrower, listen yeah. to Electric Wizard, listen to these bands, and like I just didn't have to listen to He so did much the heavy chat. lifting, yeah. Yeah, true. and like he like really helped me. And like once I I found those bands, then everything else starts opening up. I mean that's a good fucking foundation of bands to start with though. Incredible. Hundred percent. But like I don't know about you, do you know what I fucking miss? Buying an album, you look at the linear notes. Or liner notes, how it's pronounced. Linear. Spelt linear, though. No, it's liner. Linear. Linear. Linear is something else. There are linear notes. Yeah, it's not I'm that. just being stupid again. No. But it's uh, when you look at the um, the comments from the band members and they give their band recommendations. Yeah, I used to look at those. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I just choked to my spit. <laughs> <laughs> I got super excited. <laughs> 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 Cute punk. <laughs> <laughs> what? what was that? Um, was that Common Garden? No, we were in oh, I saw some French Bulldogs by then, they were super cute. Oh, I know the ones you mean. But, um, but yeah, no, I used to look at like all the death metal albums I used to buy and look at the recommendations and used to like take notes and say, like, oh, I'm gonna see if I can find this album. I remember I bought one Cephalic Carnage album which had like the most re- one dude in the band listed like 50 bands. I was like, right, I'm taking notes. It's like cock and ball torture. <laughs> Check them out. Basement torture killing. Yeah. My, my favourite, there was a German, like, like really miserable band called Valorian. And their, their dedication in their CD, it was literally just, no thank yous, you are all equally worthless pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was so sick. <laughs> oh, do, you, do you guys remember? I don't know if you, if you ever did this, but I think in like 2006, like the MySpace days, Akakoka did like a, a mystery trail, like a treasure trail. No. And oh, you don't remember? Oh, no, I've never no heard recollection of this. It was amazing. It was just when, like, just after everything Antichrist came out, and it was like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you had to follow a series of clues, and like, it was really difficult. And I think I got like only so far. I think, I remember talking to Sam years ago about it, and he said, I think like one or two people cracked it. Was it like an ARG sort of thing? What's an ARG? It's like an augmented reality game. Basically, it's when it's it's like it's like a game, but it, that's more of a term used for like video games that do it. They'll do like a media or promotion campaign where they do an ARG, which is they'll leave some clues on like a website or through their social media mm. to real life locations that you could go oh, and find that information. It was is it like geocaching? I don't know. It was more like an internet so. version. So I think uh, they they were like. You had to you had to type in URL URL which was like the old band name backwards. It was like backwards Salem Orchid, oh, okay. and yeah. you went to that website and there was a clue on the website and it was like really obscure. And it was something about like because like they're named after one of the the monkey in Robert Nye's version of Faust. So I bought that book and I read it <laughs> and I just tried like crack the clue. It's a, it's a horrifyingly dirty book. It's like Marquis de Sade s. No way. Horrifying sex from what I was like. Like 16 when I was reading this, I was quite maybe younger than 16. So this is the original version of Faust? No, it's not, it's not Goethe's Faust. It's Robert Nye was like a satirical 20th century author. I think it was like 1930s, maybe earlier. Yeah, it's just like a 
like very broady, <laughs> rowdy, rambunctious. <laughs> I, I don't even remember like what Faust. I just remember those are fucking and like <laughs> eating. And, this is like this That's is so like sick. dickhead monkey that like sits on a table or something. I can't remember. It's so like, the, mon- wait, the monkey. Wait, so the monkey's called Akakoka. Fuck! I never knew. Is it like, like, yeah. That's why they said there's, there's the classic interview and they go, there's a thing and they're asking people, oh, what does the name mean? And then Jason goes, oh, it's a monkey, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah, Italian guy. It's Aki Oh, we're, we're getting too. Sorry, just yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. It's very obscure. Are we still talking about 70s rock? I think so, yeah. We're literally. 45 minutes in. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's going to be a long one, guys. <laughs> yeah, well. I, I like the album, it was good. I liked it too, it was very good. You just cut nah. everything else before this. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. I'm nah, joking. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it was great. It's, um, and I think uh, thank you to you guys again for introducing me to shit that I would have never have. Um, I just don't touch the 70s, I don't know why. I just go with what my parents listened to in the 70s, and I'm just like, oh, that's good enough. Like, Blois the Cult are cool, well, they're a good band. You know? I, just don't, I just don't explore it. Nina's the 70s whisperer. There's so much stuff she's introduced me to that I've never heard, and I listen to a lot of 70s music, but she knows some really great stuff. Honestly, like the YouTube trick of just typing in full album 1971, there is, I've never listened to a bad album doing that. Yeah. Just pick a cool cover and you're in there. Yeah, I'm gonna try it, just do a bit of, so many albums, but you know what, it's just, it's media overload, I've got so much shit that I need to listen to, that I'm I just like, yeah. I, just, I end up just not listening or doing anything, it's just too overwhelming. I know exactly what you mean. I feel that like my whole life right now is just too much of everything. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's kind of why I like the 70s is that like there's generally, there, there is so much, but I know it's going to end at some yeah. point. <laughs> I'll get to the end and I'll be like, I don't have to do this anymore. Whereas now I'm just like, there's another album out. I've just, I've been meaning to listen to this album for like a year and then there's like three more albums and it's all piling up. It's, I like doing this for that reason. But it, do you know, I think it's cool. What I like about it is it's, it's an exotic kind of like decade for me because I wasn't alive then. I'm sure there's probably some people watching this thinking this fucker definitely was alive in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, believe it or not, I wasn't alive in the 70s. And um, you know, you listen to it and I'm just like, you know, this is music from a time where I never existed. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's kind of a bit alien and a bit new to me. It ironically sounds fresher so than fresh. new music. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, that's what I enjoy. Yeah, I feel more like, I feel like I have more in common with 70s music sometimes. I don't know why I feel that way, but I, I definitely feel more connected to a lot of like 70s style stuff. I don't know if it's just because it's more basic, but it's not more basic, is it? I don't know. More well, bare bones maybe? Like more, I don't know. More well, some of it's mad complex, like can't Yeah. yeah. There's just there's something about the atmosphere of it that maybe it's, it reminds me of my childhood because like of the art and stuff I used to consume when I was that age. There was a thing that happened and I, I noticed it watching there's that famous documentary about Fleetwood Mac but when the 80s hit everyone became really concerned and worried about looking like old-fashioned and like dad music mm. so a lot of bands even like amazing bands from the 70s were like determined to like drag their yeah, image the into the thing. future and like because of synths and everyone was like guitar music's dead in the freaking 80s everyone was like guitar music's over you know and that's 40 years later and it's still going and people are like guitar music's dead 
But like people were saying that 40 years ago. That's really mean? ironic though, isn't it? But yeah, it's because really of that mindset is why like the thrash bands fucking revived it because people were exactly. so sick of that shit. Yep. So when they brought guitar back, it was almost like fucking this is a revelation. Yep. This is the shit we've been missing out yeah. on. But it was, yeah, it's very important. But culturally, that was a very widespread point of view, I believe, from what I've heard and read. It's where I hate a lot of 80s pop music. But definitely, because it was that wave. That it was the wave crashing down on all the stuff you love. Yeah. yeah. See, uh, I, I love 80s pop music because 80s was the well, decade I was born, even I don't remember much of it, but a lot of that pop music was still on the radio when I was growing up. Oh, so it's nostalgic? So, like, yeah, yeah it's very. So. 80s pop music is very nostalgic to me, whereas 90s was such a fractured decade. Yeah, I hate 90s music. But then all the death metal like bands came from the 90s. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, no, 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 pop music. Oh, no, no, pop, I mean, like, yeah. popular music in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was pretty dog shit. I mean, yeah. Britpop, Britpop I had no time for it. I hate Britpop so, so much. Yeah. We had to do a module at school on Britpop, and it was one of the worst experiences. <laughs> like, horrible. We just had to listen to the same song, like, five times and analyse the song and learn the lyrics, and it was just, ugh. When I was in school, all the dickheads loved Oasis. Yeah. Right? <laughs> 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 I mean, let's be honest though, Spaceman was a bop though. The Spaceman, like, uh, yeah, Babylon 5. No, not Babylon 5. That's a TV show, right? Babylon, Babylon 2. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I don't know any racist songs. Like, did they do Wonderwall? Is that that? Yeah, that's Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was listening to Credence for about 15 years. I thought this Agricole Cross didn't have much I just love how Wonder Wall has become like a motif, like you know how in like black metal everyone says Freezing Moon by uh, Mayhem is the Wonder Wall with black metal. Yeah. And, um, what would the Wonder Wall death metal be? Probably. You were saying it was that decapitated song. Yes, yeah, Spears of Madness. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe Hammer Smash Face or something. Hammer Smash. Yeah. <laughs> should we move on to the next album? We probably should have. Yeah. So I think this is a record breaking review length. So, I mean. I, I highly doubt Kitajima is going to stumble across this, but if he does, please verifies me. I absolutely love your music and low and split. Um, but yeah, next album is White Ward, Love Exchange Failure 2019 from Ukraine. What do you think of this? Um, yes, yeah, so I was doing a little bit of research. I uh, found out that the band is from Odessa, which is the third largest city in the Ukraine. And there's a bit of it's kind of like, not the London equivalent, but similar to London in the sense that it's a tourist hotspot. Mm. for Ukraine and like listening to the album which I absolutely loved I, it's a I very good album really, we both loved it yeah really fucking like this album I like and we're both like um, me and Shem both love Death Heaven and like the, some of the post-black metal things and I feel like, this doesn't sound too much like Death Heaven but I feel like Death Heaven are quite a seminal band for opening the door for this music to be kind of accessible or appreciated mm. But no, when I was doing a bit of research and, you know, looking at the album cover and the lyrics, like, there's a lot of, like, kind of urban decay and urban nihilism. And, and I, even the uh, the opening track, which is the title track, Love Exchange Failure, opens with, like, these sombre piano keys and then there's the sirens in the background. Yeah, the uh, sirens really got me. And I thought, that's such a cool way to open an album, because, like... I didn't actually realise there were sirens until, like, the second time I listened to it, because I thought the sirens were real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love when shit like that happens. I have to do a double take. So I'm thinking, there's that actual sirens on? <laughs> but no, it's um, it's. I think they've done a really good job of capturing that sort of feeling of like um, urban despair because yeah. it's it's a real oxymoron living in a city sometimes because it could be one of the busiest, most bustling places in the world, but at the same time it could also be one of the loneliest places in the world where you're just surrounded by these grey, 
landscapes and giant buildings and you, you're living so close to so many people but you've never felt so disconnected and like that's kind of like the feeling I got from a lot of the lyrics and uh, just the general feel of the album as well um, but oh, just so much good music I don't even know where to start um, I'll let you talk for a bit while I compose my thoughts because it's just I really love this album your thoughts are as good as a crazy some of the crazy jazz sax solos that exist within this this piece of work it's a really interesting album um, I'm actually a saxophone player so I really like listening to the sax and like the way it was played was like really beautiful, like yeah. really good. There's lots of dynamics, and the tone is really nice and smooth, but also like incredibly forlorn and like yeah. it's like sad jazz music that's yeah. very intense. And the way it like it weaves in with the piano is like I feel like I feel like this album is like very much inspired by the Voices London for sure. Yeah, do you know I didn't even make that connection, but yeah, that 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 makes sense. Yeah, it's like I feel like they were one of the first bands that I personally know of, and maybe I'm I'm wrong that like did an, a whole album just about like the intensity of living in a city. Yeah. And how like soul crushingly despairing that experience is, and like the, even the the cover reminds me a little bit of of London to an extent. But I I love that there's there's an, there's a version of this of another city that I don't know of a city that I've never experienced, and yeah. yet I can kind of connect to that like disconnection and, and loneliness and like know that it's not comforting because it's horrible but the fact that there are other people in other countries who have a similar experience is really interesting yeah for sure have you composed some more but it's uh, yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> no it's um just say talking about the sea just remind me i actually googled it and had a look at some of the architecture and was just doing a bit of research on the sea because i was interested and it's um apparently it's got a lot of uh there's a lot of greek history there so there's a lot of almost like greek architecture in some of the buildings because i think it's near Even a port name, right odessa, odessa. Yeah. you know there's a brand of olives and capers called odessa you can buy them i can see that before yeah yeah, yeah. Port sounded familiar. <laughs> yeah thank you but and it's just it was just kind of cool to think that you know you can have such beautiful architecture and you know we live in london which has got some you know great architecture but and especially central london now in the landscape we live in yeah. it's never been more desolate and kind of just well dead to coin the london like term anti-person architecture we've got like spikes on benches and benches specifically designed yeah. there's like the, the camden bench i don't know if you've read about it but it's specifically designed so two people can't sit next to each other and so you can't lie down on it so it's a piece of, like, anti-human architecture. So that's what that was, because I saw something about the bench, but I just, I just couldn't be bothered to read it. But, <laughs> that's what I was saying. But, okay, cool. I wonder yeah. what that was about. Yeah. That was interesting. No, you mentioned the saxophone, and um, I, when we were listening to, um, when I was listening to the Black Sheep War album, which had, like, the, um, the horn of the saxophone that was on that track, it just really reminded me of just um, how fucking cool that instrument sounds. I think forlorn is the perfect word. Mm. Well, that's probably the word I was looking to use because I think it perfectly describes how it sounds. But it just blends so well with metal, I feel. And another album that does it really well, I'll mention quickly. Have you ever listened to Rivers of Nile? Yeah. yeah. Their newest album right. has a saxophone and they've done a fucking great job of like melting that with like the chaos of death metal, which I think is really cool. But how it's used here is definitely, it's got like a real dark sort of ambient jazz feel and a lot of the tracks sound like you just kind of sitting and <laughs> just depressed in this yeah. dive bar jazz club, just fucking just contemplating your existence. And the lyrics are quite interesting and as well. And you were going to talk about the lyrics because that's the most depressing part of the album. Yeah, it's, um, it seems to be um, like one of the things I've got, I mean, from the title track anyway, it seems to be from the perspective of someone who's kind of like, 
lashing out and is kind of lacking in empathy and is contemplating violent acts and even potentially murder and an attempt just to feel something again. Yeah, yeah. I got like I remember there was one one song that's like. This started just talking about like the sins of the fathers and how like trauma and anger is passed down through family and like how the moment you're born with like the scream of your mother as you're born like you're condemned and it's like a curse and the the first track I I I always like try trying to take a snippet of the lyrics so the first track which is the eponymous track Love Exchange Failure it says um, a child is drowned within entombed in a pool of tears. A grown-up is buried alive and lives a life that's full of nightmares. It's, it's kind of like almost innocent the way like you're talking about a grown-up in like the lyrics of this like this guy's screaming screaming that. I think it might partly be um, a translation thing as well. But I, I like I actually like how childlike it almost sounds. Yeah, and you know, just credit where credit's due because you know, like I, I wouldn't be able to write lyrics in Ukrainian. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so like you know, actually really cool. Yes, yeah. the, the fact that non-native I've mentioned this before in other albums, but the fact that non-native speakers can, you know, find a way to po poetically put across lyrics in yeah. something that is not even they might not even be fluent in the language could just be all just like a translation job, but they've mm. just done a great job of kind of. Uh, I think mirroring the despair and just the, the, the sheer nihilism of the music and the lyrical content and the vocal delivery is good as well you know like it's it's, yeah. it's not too high in the mix it sits perfectly and they do some cool effects like there's some dual layering every now and again and they've got some guest vocals they do which is super cool on the track surfaces yeah so there's two on the track surfaces and depths they've got clean vocals from uh, someone called Renata Kazan who and she's kind of got that kind of cabaret esque. And I don't mean cabaret in like the you know, the corny way, but it's like a traditional cabaret sort of style. Mm -hmm. And I think and that track there's barely even any kind of metal in that track. It's quite a brooding and almost like a dark jazz sort of song. And I think it just you know, I always appreciate bands that take the time to experiment outside of their comfort zone. Or maybe this is their comfort zone. But, who knows? But no, it just sounds super fucking. Just it just adds a whole new layer to the album. And then the last track, Uncanny Delusions, has Ivan Kozetchevich of a Ukrainian thrash band called Sectorial. Oh. So he provides almost like these kind of Baroque style sort of deeper singing vocals, which also is another element to the uh, to the album. That I thought was super cool. Yeah, I think I think the album is it just kind of is it's like I feel like it's not it's so hard to, to put into words. It's like almost too simple to describe all of it in a long way, in like a long form way. Like yeah. it is, it's a really effective album, and it's yeah. done beautifully. And I like, I like the, um, I like the disconnects that you feel with the album, even when you're listening to it, where you're trying to like work out how how much of it is even real and how much of it is around you. If you're because we we're all city dwellers. Yeah, yeah. So well, I'm not right now, but most of the time I am. So like we we exist in that kind of environment where if you're like walking to work and listening to this, you don't know if it's a siren <laughs> yeah. down the street yeah, yeah. or if there's like a distant chatter, like you know. <laughs> well, you don't know if the screaming is from the album or <laughs> some, some, some random <laughs> crackhead. We have heard some pretty intense black metal screams at work. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I live near foxes, so I hear the most intense fucking black metal Literally vocals imaginable. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. sounds like DSBM. I might just sample it. Fuck it, I might even do vocals. I'm just going to record the foxes and just say, Mars, I've laid down some sick vocal takes. You would never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Fox screams. But how would you perform that live? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mine. <laughs> yeah. So. You'd have to, like, 
get the foxes horny and then put them in a box on the stage where no one can see them. This is going pretty yeah. dark. <laughs> really? I like the fact I was genuinely considering this at one point. I was like, yeah, that would work. That would work. <laughs> you were like, actually, like, yeah, how would we do that? Like, fox Viagra. I remember one thing I want to say, which I didn't actually mention to Shem before we recorded as well, that I think is uh, important about this album um, and the niche subgenre of um, post black metal. Which is kind of a stupid term. I think anything post is just kind of, I don't know. That just it doesn't sit well with me. But anyway, it exists. But what's what I find with a lot of post black metal is it's very black and white in the tone of the music. It's either super super grim and then super super happy. Like you know, it, there's these odd kind of jarring transitions sometimes from you know, and it doesn't meld well. But what's good about this album, what these guys have done, is like there's a lot of grey area in between. You know, there's a lot of dynamics in the album that occupy and meld like the, some of the more major, happier sort of guitar notes as well as like you know the grim black metal sort of tremolo playing. Mm. And they've done a good job of occupying the whole kind of that whole space and presenting it in a way that's coherent. And accessible, and well, it's not accessible, but like for, for people that are into the style of music, I feel this is quite an accessible album to listen to. It's quite easy to like, you know, headbang along to it and groove to it. It feels to me like super atmospheric. And like this, and the more I could. Cognito? More I could, could, yeah, sorry. I keep saying incognito by accident. I thought it was just mare, mare cognito. Yeah, I right. said mare cognito. Because mare is like a horse. Mare is Latin for ocean. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's not, I'm pretty sure Mare is ocean. Like, yeah, you're right. Am I? Yeah, I had a quick Google. It's like, it's like ocean no. So no, not now. I had a quick Google before, not now. That'd be impressive because like, that's like psychic link. Neural Googling. link. Literally <laughs> like cognitum Google. Mare incognito. The atmosphere on this album is just fucking off the charts. And yeah. there's one track, let me just, that oh, I thought, my favourite track. Shelter? On the album. See, this is the problem. I've written so many fucking notes. <laughs> you have written an essay. <laughs> yeah, it's a really great album. <laughs> it made a lot of people's like best of last year list. I'm not surprised. Like, literally number one. The atmosphere on this album is like really, really, really specific. Like I, I have like a very specific image when I think of the whole album, which is like that's a mark of a good album. I just have this weird visual brain where like I have like mind pictures for albums. Now I'm gonna stop yeah. sounding crazy. What were you gonna say? What I was going to say was one of my favourite parts on the whole album is it's actually the title track. It's about ten minutes in, because that's the thing with these albums, the tracks are quite long. So, and there's often separate segments to each track, so it just, you know, I tend to listen to albums in its entirety anyway. So it's hard for me, and that's one of the good things about doing these things, is it's kind of forced me to try and separate things track by track. But it's not something I'm really used to doing, which I think people not from my generation are probably more used to doing, because I always bought albums on CD and just consumed them all the way through. But now you just pick and choose the tracks you like and stuff, which is but Anyway, I digress. But there's one part that's about 10 minutes into the title track and it's literally the saxophone and the guitar are kind of like doing like a, this is an Iron Maiden style <laughs> dual leading thing. Yeah, but it's yeah. a super fucking cool. cool. The, like the, the fucking melody is mirrored by the saxophone and it just sounds so fucking cool. And it's just the transitions on the album are insane. The way they can just, at the drop of a hat, go from something you know more traditionally kind of second wave of black metal, black metal to something just completely ambient and jazz orientated. It's kind of cool. I mean, you've got like bands like um, you know Shine and the Norwegian one with the more jazz, like their like combination of jazz and metal. I th I find to be quite jarring. 
a lot of the times. I think it's meant to be deliberately. This album, when I read about the Norwegian Shining, this album is what I thought it was going to sound like. Same. And I was so disappointed. Where I'm not that they're a bad band. I know they're exactly great. What you mean. But when I listened to this album, I was like, oh, this is what I thought that band was going to yeah. be. You know, yeah. the other band are great on their own terms, but I love this band. Yeah, this is more because I feel like what Shining do is more. It's almost like that is metal mixed with um, kind of freeform jazz and like yeah. a bit more sort of frenzied. Whereas this is like emotive yeah. jazz melded with metal, and I think that's emo something. Jazz, that, yeah, metal. emo jazz, yeah, <laughs> emo black jazz. So that's what like acid jazz, and what's this kind of like? Because uh, this is like New York, because it's the same as the kind of. It feels stuff. very New York. It's like yeah. New York, it's like Imperial Triumphant, right? They're a very similar city-based band. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a similar genre. deal. Yeah, there's a whole like, thing, but like psychogeographic black metal mm, yeah like yeah. imperial triumphant have got yeah. that thing where it's like they're like new york and they're they're also trying to convey some kind like of like deeply unhuman element yeah. whereas i think this is the this is almost like a polar opposite with imperial triumphant yeah. it's more human i feel it's a human experience yeah, yeah. Like crushing it's very machine. focused yeah. on the psychology of like loss and stuff but without any incel energy which is i great. feel like it's, a, it's also like about like the inherited trauma that a city can represent i'm pretty sure yeah. Odessa was a war like was part of a war. Like I feel yeah, like it was never. Wouldn't up surprise up me. Yeah. Like, I mean, Ukraine have had an insane amount of war and shit even recently. Yeah, it was like um, like what fifty years ago? I feel like there's probably people who are alive in Odessa who have that family trauma that they yeah. have to live with. And that yeah. shit, I mean, and, and the thing is, that shit manifests into other shit and it's just gets been, passed down. It does. There's some really interesting um, study on it by, oh my god, what's his bloody name? He's amazing. Oh, Gabor Mate, who talks yeah. about inherited trauma and how it's not like necessarily genetic, but it is in the sense of like a lot of Holocaust survivors, their families have inherited trauma. And, Shit, like, I'm going to be telling about this. It's yeah, so yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. Apparently, like he was born in, um, I think, Hungary, like during it was in nazi germany like at the time the nazis he was born and apparently like he when he was six months old his mum rang the doctor and was like my kid is like ill i don't know what's going on my kid keeps crying and the yeah. doctor was like every jewish kid in this city won't stop crying yeah because all the kids could tell something was up yeah and like in in the first like kind of years of a, of a child's life they kind of that they can those feelings they get from their surroundings in in ter like is internalized and it is expressed through a lot of behaviors yeah and he'd like expert he kind of looks at trauma and addiction and things like that it's worth checking out he's yeah. got some amazing yeah things. that sounds super cool and it just makes sense because if you walk into a room with a group of people whether it be your parents or friends and they're in a bad mood you fucking know it yeah, and you, you sense do. it like yeah. it's there and nothing has been said it just shows how important like body language is for conveying the unspoken like there's so much shit that can be communicated without. I suppose that's where like Darren Brown does most of his shit. Yeah. I mean, he basically reads you without you ever needing to tell him anything. Yeah. Which I always find that shit super fascinating. It's but. so cool. Apparently, he can see like twitches and facial muscles that most people don't really notice. Yeah. But it's also interesting because when you live in a city, you have to be really aware of people's body language. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in cities tend to have like a higher ability to read certain social cues compared yeah. to someone from like the country. Because I remember like. Kids from like a country town will come here and they'll just be completely overwhelmed yeah. by certain social like they can't. I don't know. It sounds really generic, like generalized. 
You read some horrifying stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this, this has been fucked. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, open there was this a single <laughs> tear rolling down the street. <laughs> yeah, there was something called the Odessa Massacre. That's during, what I was thinking yeah, of. During yeah, during World War II, 80% of the Jews were killed in the region. Yeah. There's so much stuff. But, like, recently, even in 2014, uh, it was part of the pro-Russian conflict in Ukraine. Yeah. During 2014, Odessa, it was bombed. It was hit by three bomb blasts in 2014. Fuck out. One which killed a person. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just insane, right? Think about, like, Odessa, oh, yeah, in London, like, there were three lot. bombs in... Yeah, yeah, six years ago, like. Yeah, I, I was, I like when I when I heard it, I was like, oh, I recognise that from some horrible, horrible thing that happened. So it must be the massacre. There's a lot of there was a lot of like horrible stuff like that that happened in Eastern Europe in the twentieth century. The interesting is, it's a warm water port and it has a hot summer, humid continental climate, which isn't something you'd normally think of for Ukraine. I think traditionally you think of Ukraine as a cold place, right? No, I, I, because Croatia and like some of those. Eastern, I'm not very big on like my geography of that region, but I feel like it's near. Yeah, no, I feel like because like a lot of, I think maybe uh, pre Game of Thrones people thought it was cold there, but post Game of Thrones people are like, oh, it's blue oceans. But I've got cousins in in Croatia and stuff, and it's beautiful. And I feel like Ukraine, like parts of it, might be the same. Isn't that where um, Metal Days is? Slovenia. Slovenia. Oh yeah. my god, I'm being so like unintentionally racially ignorant. <laughs> My geography ships. <laughs> Eastern Europe's difficult because yeah, it is it's, like there's just it, yeah because there's just such a condensed block of countries and I couldn't fucking point out most of these places on the map. Mm. The names have changed a lot as well in the past yeah. hundred years. Yeah, it's not Czech Republic anymore. Mm. It's Czechia, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and that's changed twice in my lifetime because of Czechoslovakia when I was young. So yeah, 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 I remember I was looking at places to emigrate post uh, Brexit, and that was one of them because you can you only have to put down like three hundred euros on a house, and you can just become Czechian. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Probably buy a house, what, 2,000 euros, which are, that's what, one month's rent, rent for a, a bathroom in London. <laughs> you can buy yeah. houses for a euro in Italy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. But it's, um, oh, one thing I want to say about this, going back to this album quickly, um, was um, I really, there's certain sections of this album where the drummer and the bassist, the rhythm section, are laying down some really fucking thick, serious groups. Yeah. And I like that they've allowed all of the instruments to breathe because it's quite a common trope in black metal that a lot of bass is drowned out and the drummers just, yeah, you know, the non-stop blast beats with, with some basic ass 4-4 section in the quiet parts. But no, like there is definitely a jazz influence on the drumming as well, like some of the more quiet uh, ambient moments that have the saxophone parts, like he, he's totally like laying down some serious like freeform jazz style drumming while the bass is just fucking grooving like a beast. And I think it's great and you know like I'll give a shout to some of the band members like the bassist um, who is actually the lead vocalist as well, so Andre Pachatkin, Pachetkin, um, has done a great job because I think his vocals, his lead vocals are just pretty, it's, it's good because it's not, when you listen to shit like DSBM for example, it's overdone and there's too much like wailing and it could be a bit kind of overwrought but like I think he does a good job with the phrasing and stuff, like they're well placed and um, and I believe it's the guitarist who's Yuri Kazarian who's doing um, a lot of the backing vocals and they uh, certain parts in the song they do like the whole dual layered vocal things, like similar to what Glenn Benton does with Deicide, we've got like the high and the low layered at the same time. I love that. And it just always sounds so fucking cool, like it's yeah. so simple but it just sounds so good and they always, they always seem to employ it at the right part of the song and they've obviously spent a lot of time just, um, you know, um, composing the music. 
Yeah, it's like a beautifully done album. I just wrote my one of my notes is just a line that says bravo. <laughs> <laughs> so bravo. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, um, I, I'm definitely going to be listening to this more. I'm going to check out the previous album as well. Um, yeah. Because I was not familiar with this band. I'd heard the name, and I knew they were kind of like a... I remember somebody saying they were like a death heavenly sort of band. And I'm just like, okay, I'll maybe check them out at some point. But I think that is doing them a massive disservice. <laughs> like, because, no, you know, no disrespect to death heaven, but like, cause I, I do like death heaven, but like, this is... Not necessarily on another level, but it's employing so much more dynamics and musical progression than a lot of other bands in the respective post-black metal genre are doing. Like uh, I will say, this is the second full-length release after their 2017 album Futility Report, and then they have a few other like demos and things they've released. The first one was actually back in 2012. It was called I, the letter I. So they've they've had a long time to like really develop their sound yeah. and come into themselves. So I am really interested to hear what that music around them sound like, like how yeah. they've constructed them. If there's like a similar kind of theme, because yeah, I don't I don't know much about their own music, but I'm really curious to find out how far back the saxophone goes. It's crazy. You say 2012. I'm like, oh yeah, like what four years ago? So, no, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's nine years ago. It's almost a full decade. Yeah, it's like fuck. It, it's like. Yeah, oh my god, it's nine. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, so the next album is Mare Cognitum, Solar Paroxysm, released in 2021. What do you think of this album, Floyd? Yeah, so um, as I've touched on a little bit before, I have been following um, the lead man, Jacob Bukowski, and his work in his splits with her. He's done a lot of work with Spectral Law as well. I was well, going to come up with that, yeah. Which is another one man project from uh, Greece. And um, yeah, it's, as I was saying before, like, when during White Word, White Ward, White Word, <laughs> Word. That'd be a very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, you just, I just find the term atmospheric black metal is just so moot, but like it does actually quite perfectly describe the music he has created. And um, a similar point I was making with um, White Ward, which was you know how I feel like a lot of post black metal is black and white. I've got a similar point when it comes to a lot of atmospheric black metal. A lot of it can be a bit too dissonant. Bit too homogenous and samey, like a lot of the, a lot of the riffs is similar to kind of like Stoner in that regard. Like it would be quite one-dimensional. It's the same riff for like a twenty-minute track, and there's five twenty-minute tracks on the album. But like what I really like about what Jacob's done, specifically on this album, but it's evident in other albums as well. There's a fair amount of um, death metal um, influence, yeah. as well as different types of black metal. Like it's 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 evident that he's a fan of the the second wave stuff. And I read an interview where he said he was. Influenced by bands like Deathspell, Omega, and even bands like Agalock and stuff, and some of the bands that are what uh, kind of helped pioneer different subgenres of black metal. And you could kind of hear in like one of the tracks, Frozen Star, not divination, divinization, Ooh. was um, really cool because it's got a, a core riff, which is like almost like a traditional kind of atmospheric black metal riff. Then about eight minutes in, it like transitions into like this kind of death metal inspired like chugging, and he's done a cool trick of ways like implemented the more guttural style vocals into that part as well, which kind of just makes it a bit more reminiscent of that subgenre. But there's just some, um, you could definitely hear the 90s vibe in that track. And yeah. there's just so many, the album is so dynamic, and it's similar to the White Ward album. There's just like, I've made so many notes on each track because I'm just like, there's so many cool parts that just kind of just like, you have made so many notes. Yeah, I don't think I've ever made this many <laughs> notes, but 
No, and there's there's even like there's even elements of like progressive metal, and I mean that in the in the newer sense. Like there's a band, uh, Neobliviscaris, who I don't know if you're familiar with. They're quite good at you know taking a really musical approach to structuring their songs, and like Neobliviscaris, I think even had one of their tracks um, studied by I think it was um, one of the musical uh, colleges in Sydney. Wow. So they completely deconstructed the track, and it's part of their musical theory uh, program. And like, definitely, I can I get similar vibes up here. There's the the, the, the transitions and the structure, how things kind of crescendo and ebb and flow, just a totally very musical and very proficient. Yeah, I can agree with you though. Like, it is. I like that this is another astral album. We kind of have one podcast <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. So it's really good, and I like how there's like we have all these different takes on space and voyage and. Yeah. Post-human earths and things like that. Yeah, and as we we're also touching on a little bit, that's one of the cool things I like about this album from a lyrical perspective. I think he's kind of, you know, showing the, the futility of the cosmos and that, you know, despite what human nature has done, good or bad, at the end of the day, you know, the sun is going to swell up and burn everything on this planet. And yeah. we're talking about the lyrics for one of the tracks, which was... Um, Terror Requiem, like, um, I believe you've got the lyrics uh, listed there. I do. There. Would you like me to read them out for uh, you? Yes, please, if you don't mind. So, Terror Requiem, um, this is one of the verses. So great is the debt we have incurred, so too will we wilt and fade into dust. We'll pay with the ashes of our humanity and cease to walk upon this earth, and the earth will forget our name. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, it's like, it's so, like, uh, what I think is cool about, um, especially this track in particular, because this is a very, a much more slower paced track, and it's got like a kind of a requiem, almost like a, an ode to the dying planet yeah. vibe about it. And I think, you know, um, I've read in previous interviews done with uh, Jacob that, um, that a lot of his lyrical content is referencing, you know, kind of like so the, what man has done, you know, whether the ill deeds of men, whether it be morally, politically, environmentally. And I think that, you know, it's a cool perspective he's coming from because, you know, a lot of cosmic uh, themed metal, black metal or death metal, um, tends to be quite disconnected from Earth itself. Mm. It's more focused about just, just a broad, it's just using all these buzzwords and all these uber scientific terms that are just quite alienating, like no pun intended. But like what I like about this album and is just that it kind of, you know, it's referencing the destruction of the earth. And I think that's quite a cool way to tie uh, something we are all connected to into like the cosmic lyricism. It's interesting because it's like, he seems concerned with the transition of humans into space and like where we go, like the debt that we incur. And the, there's a song I really like, Antaresian. So I Googled what, I always Google a word I don't mean. Yeah, so so. Yeah, and like all, all that came up was like um, a, a kind of snake, like a python in Australia. Yeah, that's why I got a genus of pythons. Yeah, it's like, um, like Antaresia. But I, I realized maybe he's making a point of like the snake that eats it tell. Oh, Ouroboros. The Ouroboros, because like the actual song itself seems to be focused with like the transhumanist ideal of like, of humans relinquishing the connection between the mind and the body. Yeah. Which I think is like, you know, the band's called Mare Pignitum, like yeah. ocean of thoughts, I'm assuming. I'm not a Latin expert. I didn't Google that one, but I kind of guessed. Um, but I yeah. Googled it. Did you, is that what yeah. it means? Yeah, yeah. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do Latin, but I kind of understand it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of took out one of the verses in this song, so I'm going to go back into verse mode. 
um, which I, I think this kind of sums it up pretty well. So he's saying, we send our minds into the waves of the cosmic sea, our bodies remain to return to the void, as one we defined the purpose of our own existence and we will find what lies beyond this dying world. I think it's like a really interesting take on like, like a voyage into space, but without the, the human body. Yeah, and in essence, that is what happens. Think about it, we just return to atoms and dust, and then we're just yeah. one with the universe again. And I think, you know, there's too many times, I mean, space is, what I find cool about bands that focus on this is, you know, space is nature at the end of the day. It's what exists in our small pocket of nature that we've kind of romanticized. And I think it's just that realization that what is out there is very cold and desolate. In space, then, there is no day. Exactly. And it's just, you know, and I think you can take away a lot of beauty from that and maybe even some, um, some peace in knowing that, you know, that when all is said and done, you know, we're just one with the cosmos again. And, you know, there's, there's no pain, there's no fear, there's no nothing. We're just back with, you know, this vast fucking uh, just incomprehensible landscape that no one really knows about still. Yeah, I mean, we, we, the thing is, though, we also know less about the oceans than we do about space, which is mad. Yeah, do you know what? I... It's, it's funny because, um, you know, I've got a fear of like open water. That's super common. Yeah. Nah, just fucking, just the thought of being in like a body of water with nothing but water around just absolutely right. fucking terrifies I me. I really drowned in the sea. Oh, God. It was not nice. Did you ever play Echo the Dolphin? I fucking loved Echo the oh, Dolphin. Scared the shit out of me, dude. <laughs> that game gave me that fear. There was something sinister about that game. Did you play it on Mega Drive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like aliens and stuff. You're just swimming around in the open sea and then like a shark comes out of nowhere and the yeah. fear. That goes through your heart. Yeah. Oh man. You never seen? No. It's an amazing. It's game. a cool game. It's like a yeah. It's like a an RPG, and you play it as a dolphin, and you release like sonar. You yeah. can do like sonar attacks to attack fish. Oh, that sounds really. But at one point, an alien race like kidnap you, and you're flying through water, and you say, "Yes, it's yeah. such a head fuck." I love that. It's crazy. I do that. You would like it. It's really yeah. interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I like this like um, post-human take on like space voyage um and like that in linked with like the terror requiem of like humans returning like you know turning to ash we pay the ashes of our humanity will wilt and fade into dust but then i feel like there's a sense of shame of like the mind remaining and having to pay the like ethical the emotional debt of like completely fucking ourselves over yeah, but, well, there's probably a lot that can be said to the truth of that. Because I mean, I think you know, we were talking about, um, you know, like the um, um, how in certain nations there's, um, but I can't remember if it was on or off camera about um, people that um, the children of people who were in the Holocaust and oh, yeah, you know, like their inherited trauma and stuff. And yeah. I feel like you know the, our trauma will probably be left imprinted onto the earth somehow, and the suffering we felt will be, whether it be through nature itself or the animals that may be lucky or unlucky, whichever way you look at it enough, hmm. look at it, uh, enough to exist in a post-human landscape. So, I mean, and I think the track itself is, is such a good representation of the, that sort of ideology and that viewpoint because it's, it's really kind of foreboding and slow and kind of mid-paced and ominous. And then it kind of erupts like seven minutes in. Yeah. It's like more of like more the tremolo sort of like classic sort of black metal riffage. And I think that's really cool because it kind of reminds you of like the earth kind of erupting and like the final moments where the sun swells to a point that everything is just completely incinerated. I, I like how fragile, I don't like it. I think the fragility of the earth is certainly 
linked in with the fragility of the human body. And yet we also, like, there's, there's always an awareness, this album's getting me all philosophical, sorry, but there's, like, there's this definitely an awareness of, like, the human mind being so different from the body at the same time. Like, we, yeah. we've always been aware there's, there's a link, yeah. and it's kind of like the link between, like, the earth and space, I feel like he's saying, is, like, yeah. a similar comparison is being made. I really like that, I like that exploration of this, because it's not a common... Usually it's just like, space is cool and weird, aliens are everywhere, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. guns and explosions. Or like xenomorphs and chestbursters. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, and I like that, There's, I'm so into that too, yeah. space is fucking rad. But I like this existential, like, huge pan of like the sun exploding, humans fucking the earth and then leaving the earth and then being ashamed of what they've done. Like, I like that. I like that he's not doing the dumb eco-fascist thing of being like, we all deserve to die. And he's actually like exploring it in a, an interesting way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, oh, fucking good on you, Jacob. This is like that, um, what's that series you showed me where it's like imagined like aliens? Oh, the alien world, there's, the there's weird the, creatures. There's the spaceship with all the and brains all the, in the, the jars. transhumanist, I feel yeah, like that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's a Russian guy that wants to do this, and he's doing it now. Like, so there's this guy, and there, there are philosophers, Yuval Noah Harari, he believes that in our lifetime, there are people walking among us who will be immortal, who will live, like, at least several hundred years, or will never die. And this is part of the reason. There, there are attempts being made to separate the mind from the body, to be able to, like, you know, Futurama, the heads in jars, but, like, kind of mm. better than that. But there's, like, this, there's this Netflix series, and there's this, um, there's a Dyson Sphere, and the Russian guy legit wants to have a Dyson Sphere. There's a whole Star Trek episode where they explain what Dyson Spheres are. I watched the next generation. Um, mm. But basically, there's a Dyson Sphere, and inside, like, so the way it works is inside the sphere is where you sustain life, and it just, like, rolls through space, and hopefully it doesn't bump into anything. Um, and all the brains are just being tended to by robots, and, yeah. like, you basically... The Russian guy who actually exists wants wants to basically do it so that he collects all your memories and you live your whole life again in the Dyson Sphere and then when you die you go to another world that is like programmed into the sphere so yeah. your consciousness exists in like the good place essentially. See that's all well and good but I don't even think we're, we're not even remotely close to a planet that I think would be close enough. Well you don't need a planet. Yeah. The Dyson Sphere is, is a human-built planet, essentially. Oh, shit, no way, okay, so I, like, I just didn't know it's, it's, it's a, a huge ecosystem. sphere. Oh, okay. It's a huge sphere, and then inside, like, so you don't exist on the surface, you exist yeah. inside it. Yeah. And then, like, because you, all you're transporting is, like, consciousnesses, you wouldn't, it wouldn't need to even be that big. Yeah. Because you, we've already got, like, quantum computing, yeah. and we've already discovered ways of moving incredibly quickly. So we don't even, like, with a Dyson Sphere, you don't have to worry about um, an exoplanet, which mm -hmm. is, like, what you need. And we are finding exoplanets that will, if we, if the new, um, like, space-moving stuff works properly, I can't remember what it's called, it's like a, a way of, like, it's not light travel, it's something like slingshot things, I don't know. But like there, there are ways that they're thinking, I think it's like a sail, they, they, they've solar developed sail. a solar sail or something like that, where like you can, I think it'll take like a hundred years to get to the nearest exoplanet. It's really interesting because in old, um, I'll say two things, the, A, this concept of like, um, like mind transferal mm. is, is a HP Lovecraft thing with the Mego. There's the alien crab things that basically there's the story where they take people's consciousness and make and they use it so they can travel into space on planets and they can experience mm. things that they could never otherwise understand. 
Um, so there's there's that part of it, but then there's also the old kind of sci-fi thing of cryogenic sleep as you go through space. It almost feels like that would have been ideal, but it almost gets to this point with what you're saying with this Dyson sphere, where it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, you could just have some gametes on ice, and then like the human race could just travel through the void, and then we, we don't could even, just. This is like the the. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. No, no, it's, yeah. But the thing is, like, what what Jacob is doing is saying you don't even need the body. The body isn't even important anymore. Physicality is so transient, and yet you have the mind. Yeah. What is the mind? Like, the mind is still able to view what has happened, and like, yeah. you have the, the whole world crumbles into dust, and yet there is still a memory of shame. Man, watching that TV, watching that animation of all the brains in jars just getting completely annihilated yeah. by an asteroid, I was yeah. like, no, I don't want to be a brain in the jar. It's horrible. You you feel like so basically. The, so the, the brains have been floating in space for like 3,000 years and they get too close to like an exploding star and then all the brains start to die and you see all these like brains so in jars like the lights start turning off and you're just like oh my god imagine knowing you're immortal and then you die and you don't know why and like you have you have no body you can't defend That's yourself fine. the robots are all like burning into a crisp and the, like there's like one brain left like what is it like for the last brain like you've no. been you've been in a collective for thousands of years and then suddenly you're alone yeah and then you die do you know what i'm gonna ruin the mood here do you think this is like a, a dyson sphere equivalent <laughs> of the um the cinnamon toast crunch finding the <laughs> shrimp in some fucking giant celestial being it's gonna be like oh i've got a fucking <laughs> ball of brains here like, i'm gonna complain to uh... <laughs> The show is on Netflix and it's called Alien Worlds. Yeah. It's very good. It's, it's pretty good. There's some like really weird... There is a really weird tentacular sex thing in one of the episodes where these two like Sold. weird... <laughs> yeah, so I watched it. There's two like weird like dog-like like crab they're creatures. They're five-legged. They're like... Like five-legged and then there's like a... They're like hermaphroditic and there's like a bit where like a tentacle comes out the top and they just start like dipping tentacles <laughs> into each other. And it's like... And it's just like... And now they have sex. This <laughs> is really weird. Like, don't watch it with kids. Yeah. And then there's the tiny monkeys that get killed by the mushrooms. Yeah, there's the fungus. They're like predatory monkeys with these like slingshot arms. They're really arms. cute. Yeah. And they, they it's amazing. wicked, dude. You gotta Good watch it. It's, it's so weird. sick. You need to put it on. And I was like, whatever. And then I was doing something else, and I was like, I had to stop what I was doing. I was like, wait, this is awesome. Yeah, and then come out of the show, just like. <laughs> it's so good now. <laughs> Your mouth is like hanging open, it's yeah. great. Yeah, anyway, uh, oh, sign of paroxysm. I just sorry, I just got reminded of the scene. I can't stop thinking about it. Did I tell you about the time I watched The uh, Shape of Water in the cinema? <laughs> I think you did. I... Yeah, about the. Well, because it starts off with a woman masturbating. Masturbating. Fuck's sake. God damn it! myself and never do it again. <laughs> For fuck's sake, that word tricks me. Yeah, I'm, I'm the Northern Masturbator. <laughs> you know, I was toying around, I was going to say, should I say she was flicking her bean or should I say? I was like, no, that's way too crude. Masturbation. Curse, curse my London fucking. Just too cautious about yeah. that to my A's. Fuck. I've said masturbate so many times. You should just go for the northern and master. Yeah, masturbate. Masturbate him. 
Masturbate. At least don't watch this film. Yeah, I went to the cinema with <laughs> <laughs> the, shape, the Shape of Water, and uh, there was a woman there pleasuring herself. In, in the, the film, not that's in the like, no, no, yeah, yeah. Let me make a distinction. Yeah, in the movie, that's how the main character. Is. She's a mute character, and that's how it opens. And there was just, it was so awkward because there was a, a mother in front of us with her two children who were like these 12 year old girls, and the mum went beetroot red. And I was just imagining, just like, look at the, the mum, so embarrassed. And it was just so awkward, but it was, it was hilarious. I heard something that happened when I was about seven or eight years old. I had super strict parents. I was not allowed to watch 12s or 15s. I couldn't watch a 15 until I was 18. That's how strict my parents were. But we went to cinema. And um, I used to do this thing where I used to want, I always wanted to watch the adult films. Yeah. So I'd try and pretend to go into the wrong room to hope that we'd watch a, a grown-up film. So I managed to take my mum into a room during a sex scene. Oh. And no. then I was like, whoa. <laughs> my mum just like, no. And she just like drags me out. It was amazing. Like, not, not, that sounds weird, but it was just, it was like one of those moments as a child where you get to see what, what it's like for the adults. Yeah. In a very kind of weird, horrible, seedy way. <laughs> the description of the tentacle sex remind that's what it reminded me of just the yeah, that's how I got onto that tentacles. but oh yeah solar paroxysm solar paroxysm now we've talked about enough paroxysm paroxytic <laughs> activity um, there's one track I want to talk about because I think what I think this album has got a super super strong opener and a really good closing track as well which I feel like a lot of time with black metal it gets to a point where you get halfway through and you're like I'm fucking done yeah, like, it's I've, like the same. I, yeah, it's yeah. like I've heard enough. I like I might revisit this at a later date, but I'm done. But with this album, I actually think one of my favourite moments happens in the last track, which is Ataraxia Tunnels. Atara I don't know how to pronounce it. It's probably right. I think it's Ataraxian Tunnels, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually have it written down, and, I don't know I'm But I mean, Ataraxia, it's a word I've always seen but never said out loud. And it means, it, like, it means uh, serene. Yeah, yeah, like sort of serene calmness, which I think is quite fitting to the to the closing of the album because it's kind of like that maybe the state will be at when all was finally said and done mm. but there is such a good fucking riff it, it hits for the first time about three minutes 50 seconds in and it's like it's a really like super fucking dissonant but also kind of groovy black metal riff that's kind of second wavy like sort of mid late 90s but it's just so cool and it goes back to what i was saying about how he's so obviously influenced and cautious about not making the album sound one-dimensional and it's just because when when I heard that riff just just fucking interspliced with the rest of the album, it just works so well. And Ike was a very good track. <laughs> and then there's a, there's one fucking like riff that kind of sounds a bit like I mentioned this band so much, but I do genuinely love them. Mono, the Japanese post metal band, and um, it's just I love it when guitars sound like they're fucking howling in the background, and there's just when yeah. the album closes with that riff, and it's just I will say he uses so much good fucking like crystal clear like lead guitar work like the solos on this album are really fucking good and like really like um, kind of atypical of a, a black metal album um, i must say like jacob is it jacob bucharski yes i hope so please correct me if i'm wrong like i, I love this like, if you look at the encyclopedia metal and it, it just says everything he does everything he does yeah every single part of the whole album which is incredible because it's so good like everything is virtuosic so fucking hell dude like that's yeah. really awesome and it's interesting because it kind of makes me uh, think about one man bands in general because they're either like super fucking amazing or they're just really kind of like shit and kind of diy bedroom projects yeah but like but it's what's what's impressive uh, what i find interesting about the whole concept of a, a, a like somebody that does everything is 
you hear they're so vision. Yeah, so they're not bouncing off anyone else. Exactly, they don't have to, they don't have to um, like, distill, they don't have to... Um, compromise. Yeah, or... compromise, it doesn't oh. get like... Um, Oh god, what's the word? The opposite of distill. It doesn't get diluted. Yes. Yes. That's it. Chemistry brain here. Yeah. It doesn't get diluted by people like. <laughs> no, my brain. I was trying to. I was about to correct you to to distilled as well. My brain was trying to tell you it was distilled, <laughs> even though you said it wasn't that. So I completely understand why you just did what you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because like I think when you work with other people, and this is kind of the beauty of working with other people as well as the curse of it, is that you know you if you have a very strong vision, it won't always be preserved because everyone yes. else is doing their own thing on it. Whereas this is incredible because he's he's communicated his vision in a way that I feel like only one person could. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really special, and he's done it in a really impressive way, and it's just crazy to me that you could do that much stuff yeah. and that well. So yeah, yeah like. Bravo. 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 But it's um, what is cool though. Like he has done. Um, He's done a lot of work for Spectral Law, the, the, the One Man Greek project as well, whose material is actually pretty outstanding as well. There's something about the Hellenic black metal style that I really like. Like, I'm a big fan of Broughton Christ and stuff, and it's just, they've just got, like, a flair to it that I think just really stands out from the rest of the scene. But the release they, um, that was released last year was called uh, Wanderer's Astrology of the Nine. Mm. It's like a concept album that they worked on together, and it's about, it's based on Gustav Holst's like planets. Planet Suite. I love it's one of my favorite pieces of classical music. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So like thematically, that's what it's based on. So each oh, track of the, the nine planets, it's really super good. And what they often do in their splits is there's some tracks done by um, sort of um, mere cognitive, some done by spectral law. I almost said spectral cognitive there for a second. <laughs> Combine both of them, but and that's but that's what happens. There's tracks where they both work a lot together, so it is like a union and. A lot of the music they've done together on the split work is actually like really fucking transcendent of like the genre, in my opinion. Did you know that the, the notes, um, when like notation was invented, it was based on the planets? No. It was like an alchemical kind of system of because um, like they believed that music was divine, so they had like a divine representation ah. of music. And if you look at planetary patterns, like they, they call it like the music of the planets, I think. Yeah, well, that's so, cool. I did not know that. That's cool. Nerdy there. But yeah, that's I, that's kind of one of the reasons I love like astral music, because um, it's like so connected with the history of music itself. Yeah, well, it's like it's well, it's like ancient history in the truest sense. I mean, it predates anything we've ever known. Well, really. modern notation, I think, was medieval. Yeah. So it's actually it's actually not as old as people think. Because if you look at if you it's like I think it was like around Mozart's time, like seventeen hundred, late sixteen hundred, I think. Yeah. I'm not a music historian, but before then you had like really weird looking notation. If you look at like like old church music, like Gregorian shit. Yeah. And then before that, I, I don't really know what they were using. Like, the, I, I think a lot of it was um, already transmitted anyway. They yeah. just had like tablets and shit for the lyrics. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, that's um, cool, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but no, it's, um, it was, it's one thing I will say is, um, I don't know if you've listened to much of um, uh, their previous uh, work. I have not, this is my but, first um, outing. There's one album that's like really well lauded as Phobos Monolith, which is a great album. And but like comparing this to previous works, I think this is a lot more polished in the production. The production's always been fantastic; like everything's always sounded great. But like they're quite loud albums, which is quite a typical uh, characterization of atmospheric black metal. It's just like you know, let's dial everything up as loud as possible and just see what comes through. 
and some of the albums had really like the drums were quite overbearing on some of the albums but this is like this sounds like professionally it's mixed so and it's super crystal clear. Yeah. yeah, like the production is incredible. It just sounds like a whole band playing at yeah. once as opposed to one guy, which just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, the, he's from California as well. We seem to be covering a lot of Californian sort of oh, artists. I, know, I, just, I thought he was um, like so European. So he relocated to uh, Portland, Oregon. Yeah. But originally, I think he is actually from California. Damn! Which is crazy because you think of California, you think of the sunny state and all this that stuff. This does not sound American to me. Well, that's the thing. This is why I think, you know, this, like, his work has done quite a lot for the American sort of black metal scene because mm. it's, like, it's off criticized the American black metal scene because it's, you know, like, ca Canadians are doing their own thing. The whole Cascadian black metal thing is super cool. And they've got, like, you know, because they come from, I don't know if it's to do with icy fucking landscapes, but. Seems to be most of the good black metal comes from areas that are super fucking cold. But like, this is um, done quite a lot to, I think, kind of put American black metal on the map and show that it's not as sort of hackneyed as some other previous attempts are. Because normally, it, a lot of it is kind of like a, a bit of a pale imitation of the second wave bands, which which the genre is left behind now. You know, second wave is about as cool as new metal now. You know, well, which that's probably a bad reference. It's <laughs> coming back. So, <laughs> you know. Is it coming? Oh, new metal's fu almost fully back. There's like this, no. there's new metalcore now. There's new new metal. Kind of, yeah. So like metalcore, uh, like the bastard sons, new metal and metalcore, kind of joined forces and created something. And some of it's, do you know what? Some of it's not too bad. Like the last Code Orange album has a lot of like industrial new metal influences. I was a big Code Orange fan when that album came out. It's just garbage. I, I fucking, I liked it. I hate it. That weird like. Talk rap that they did in that song. I was just like, "What are you doing?" That kind of music has made me uncomfortable. I, it just, it just feels they're like, because their whole thing was like, "We're the new sound, yo. We're the new." And then Is like, that how they're talking on the album. Uh, they talk kind of, you know, uh, that's a bad impression, but it's like aggressive, and they're like, "This is real, motherfucker." And then that, like, that's kind, of, that, that's literally the what moment they, someone says, "This is real," I'm like, "You're fake as fuck." <laughs> no, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool reaction. in the context of their albums, and it's really good. Like, I really love Forever and I Am King. But yeah. I don't remember what that new one was called. Underneath. Under, yeah, but like that one, I heard that lead single and they were like, yeah, and, and they were like, we're just doing this brand new thing. And I was like, this just sounds like SoundCloud rap. It just I sounds like, like SoundCloud rap with a mix of oh industrial. No. It sounds older than the records they did before to me. Do you think they're doing that to try and ride that wave of popularity? Oh, definitely, because they've got okay. like, they've been nominated for like two Grammys and Emmys or whatever. They're on so Roadrunner. Really like I'm not sure if they're on Roadrunner now, but they definitely they were, were signed to Roadrunner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fair play to them. They seem like lovely yeah. people and they're very talented musicians. Okay. And not, really it's sure it's a very music. popular, it's a very popular record, yeah. that new one. But for me personally, I, I, yeah, I just, it, it was yeah. interesting because I felt for me personally, it represented like, a, a decapitation of the growth they'd made up until that point yeah. and it made me just kind of withdraw from being a huge fan of that band to just yeah. being like oh they're not that's fair because i think a lot of their earlier stuff is quite rooted in like old hardcore sort of like traditions and aesthetics and sounds so i yeah. saw them first time i saw them because they used to be called cold orange kids oh. and it was the weirdest tour ever they were opening for um Trypticon and at the gates no really i'm actually wearing i thought i had a zip on the for a second <laughs> I'm wearing a Morbus Cron t-shirt who were like, a, they were kind of like a, one of those revival old school death metal sounds. Sick. They actually sound like death, but like more kind of ambient and technical. Huh. I'll show you some of their stuff. I'll like that. More technical than death. 
<laughs> but yeah, so it was such a weird villain because at, at the time they must have been about fucking 15, 16 because they're young yeah. now. Like they're only in their maybe mid 20s now. So. Oh, fair enough. If they're so, young, that's different. Oh, if they're yeah, like yeah. 50 and I would think that would be like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But that is the big thing. It's the new metal core sort of sound. So it's like it's now become cool to like new metal because it's now about 20 years old. So, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah. that kind of vocal was like when someone talks in music. I thought it's really difficult to carry that off because the moment you do that, you're kind of piercing the veil of the magic of the voice. Because when you sing, it's so different to how you talk. When how you talk mm. is like so intimate, mm. and like I, I just I don't know. I, I, I'm really fussy. No, you're right. I That's actually a very good really point. Good observation. Really good, yeah, yeah, really good point. Yeah, because yeah. I know that because I remember that the example that comes to my mind is that fucking um, Lamb of God album, which I actually quite liked, Ashes of the Wake. Mm. It's quite a good album. I've never been. It's a one band, but yeah. they've got a track called Murder and it's got a whole spoken passage by Randy Bly at the beginning. Oh, yeah. And I fucking hate his voice. <laughs> just like, it's, it's just, it really grates me, and I'm just like, but so I totally get what you're saying. Like, when yeah. you get spoken passages. I like Disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> no, mommy. Mommy, <laughs> <laughs> a good boy. Um, <laughs> voice is London, though. That works. Works on that. That's magical. But that's because they're doing it in the context of there's such a strong theme and story. Right. And the narration is is narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like my guardian. They talk on that, right? Yeah. There's there's a lot of spoken. Yeah, yeah. Especially now. But again, strong theme. It's it's pulling you towards something. It's like designed to be like in a part of the place in the music. Mm. Whereas like. Doing that live, if I were to go on stage and start talking, I would just feel shit. Like, it would not work. I don't have the voice to carry that kind of thing off. Like, I'm not a voice yeah. actor. You have to act. Whereas, like, like, with singing, you don't have to as much, I feel. And, like, I don't know, it depends on who you are and the kind of voice you have and the kind of thing you're doing. But I feel like that's a really... But I think that's a good point, because I feel like, like in the Blind Guardian album, I don't know who done it, but I remember when I was uh, first listening to uh, London... And voices and the narrative parts are done by someone who is like either David an actor Gray. or no, David, David, David Gray. It's David Gray. Oh fuck. That's why like Akakoka actually is their spoken bits. Oh yeah. Because they've done so well. Yeah. But they're it sounds so grandiose. Well. Like it's but that's it's not how they speak though either. It's like, not how they speak in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I mean listen to William Shatner's spoken word stuff. That's the <laughs> fucking worst ever like the, <laughs> I just don't even know what that even is. But if you're ever bored, just check it out. It's actually pretty fucking funny. But like, it's not music. <laughs> There's music in the background, and then William yeah. Shatner's just like, yeah. "Why is the man climbing like, the mountain?" <laughs> but like, find me an Akakoka fan that can't recite that whole song. It's like, draw near, partake of this, partake of this altar. Of this altar. You are fair in beauty than other daughters, daughters of man. man. Recognize and embrace this glorious proclamation of eternal damnation. Yeah, like there's like, no way. So catchy. Yeah, like, I can't remember the lyrics to most of my favorite songs, but I will never yeah. forget yeah. the lyrics to that track. I know lyrics to my own songs. Yeah, right. I know, I know, like every spoken word Akakoka intro there is, like, just. Oh. I think um, their um, their um, when they first reformed. I think their first gig back was Bloodstock. Was it? I, I think yeah, I think so. it might have been. Yeah. Oh gosh. It might have been. Anyway, they, they, they played. Um, That's it. Yeah. Son of the Morning. Which, oh yes. And it was, it was, is that one of those bear witness to yeah, my test? Yeah. Yes. And then so and it's funny because they played that and I had to listen to like. About fifty drunk metalheads surrounded me all out of tune. Yeah, singing that bit. Unforgivable. It was cool. When they played the Underworld and they did, oh, is it like, look at me, 
What is that? Look at me, I command you. Look at me, I command you. Prince of the North? I can't remember. It's the first song in Coronza. But when they started playing that, the whole venue was like going, does it just start saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, I command you. Like, it wasn't even part of the song. It was just like the whole, like, for the five minutes until anyone would say, yeah. It was really fucking oh, good. Oh, that reminds me of this really cool footage. And it's a venue I've been to and I can never remember the fucking name. It's in New York. I'm not even trying to remember it. I'm just going to forget it. St. Vitus Bar? It's not St. Vitus. Okay. But it's a venue which I'll remember when I'm 4 a.m. tonight. Yeah. It'll come into my head. But um, at the gates performed there, not long after they reformed, they played Slaughter of the Soul and the whole crowd is so fucking loud. And you know the no bit way. where it goes, go! It was like, ah, oh, it's just... <sighs> Just wow. so sick, like when crowd participation, when it's done right, I love it. it's so fucking sick. Yeah. That's why Blind Guardian is amazing for that, because you just get all these fancy nerds just rehearsing all the lyrics. When I saw them at Hellfest and they played Talon, is that oh, what's that? Yeah, like, like, Talon Into the Void. Yeah, that's the it. Cry from Talon. That's yeah. like, the, like, I kind of, I only listened to it once, because I kind of wanted to be able to sing along when I saw them, because yeah. I was dating someone who absolutely loved them at the time. And it was amazing, because the whole crowd was singing, and it was yeah. like, just... 20,000 people singing that one song. It's, it's really cool to... I feel like that's when you become a true Blind Guardian fan, when you see them live, and you, then you kinda, it kind of clicks a bit more. Yeah, like, uh, it's so catchy. <laughs> one thing here, so we, we've gone from talking now to just singing along to songs, but one thing I hate as a big fan of hardcore is you know when you go to a hardcore show and the singers like sing first first half of a line and then put the mic in the crowd yeah. and the oh, people man. at the front always seem to know every single lyric. Yeah. I've been at so many hardcore shows where I'm at the front because I love the band <laughs> and then they put a mic in my face and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know the words! <laughs> 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 That's my worst nightmare! It's horrible! Like, don't do that! Yeah, don't yeah. do that! I hate yeah. it! That's why I like Harm's Way so much, because I don't think they do that. <laughs> I like to go to shows and just getting them to shove the microphone in my face just to do the fucking disturbed ooh, wah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. kill the mood of the yeah. entire fucking show. Imagine being like, like, imagine like being like our level band and you just go to show and you do that and they're just like, oh. no, dude, I, did, I, see, I go and see yeah. bands at the old Blue Last and they'd be like up and coming new bands. There would still be people that really loved them and knew all the words somehow, but they were new bands, but they just expected everyone at the front to know all the words. Oh of their my song. god, I would. I thought I that was just, crazy. That is mad, yeah. yeah. See, to me, that's mad dedication because, like, you know, there's albums I know back to front and I do not know the fucking lyrics. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just... Yeah, I haven't sung a Lowen song in, like, a year, so I don't know my own lyrics at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't really know. But, like, I think, I kind of like that because it means that when I do go back, I'll remember them again and just yeah. discover the music. That's just be the short-term memory, though, isn't it? It's just like... I have an like, awful yeah. memory. I don't yeah. remember, like, my own name, most people's names, who people are. Well, I mean, well, it's very lucky that you've got that Pokedex that has all the... <laughs> if you ever forget your own name, you've got 151 <laughs> reminders. When, I, like, when I've got dementia in, like, 30 years' time, yeah. however many years, I'd be like, but, I'm just looking at that book, like, who's Nina? Well, the best thing is you have dementia, look at it and think, oh, why have they named them all Nina? Why has every Pokemon got the same name? <laughs> Who the fuck is Nina? <laughs> There's a guy in a band we played with, and we were at a gig once, oh, and no. he walked up to us, and he was like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, hey, man. And you could just see, he could just see on Nina's face that he wasn't registering at all. In Nina's defence, a lot of the people we play with look like me and they're just white guys with beards and long hair. Yeah. And this guy was dressed differently to how he was at the show. I only met him, with him once. And she'd only met him once, yeah. but like he was so sad that he could, she just had like, no honestly, idea. It was so funny. When I realised what happened, I still think about this. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to fall asleep and your brain is like, remember that shit thing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think of that, I think of his face yeah. and I just, oh man. 
oh my god it was such a painful moment yeah such a nice guy yeah. come on man like it's such like your get up and my get up are so fucking common the amount of times I've been yeah, to a yeah, gig right. oh were you um, at that gig and I was like yeah. no it was one of the other 10,000 fucking exactly, big right? guys yeah. with a bold head and beard I mean you know beautiful what I mean? Iranian women with, with hair down past their waist are there walking around a metal gig that, that happens to my mum all the time as well the amount really? of people where there's a hilarious story and she's never going to watch this so I'll tell it it's um there was, she was like, we were at the supermarket after school and she had this friend called Cliff and she was at dinner at his house the day before <laughs> <laughs> and then Cliffy came up to her and was just like oh Jenny how are you doing and you could tell her face she completely forgot who he was oh, and, was like, <laughs> and even I knew who he was and I was like afterwards I said like, why are you so cold with him like she was like oh, I don't know who it was but like she gets out all the time of like people no, she's met like once, and you can't expect like she's got a very recognisable yeah. aura, yeah. much in the same way that you do, and and it's like, it's like you can't expect to remember. So if you've met someone once, you can't fucking expect them to remember. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's, Especially it's not like they had a long conversation or anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I, it's interesting because like when you're in a band and you 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 play a gig, and people see you and love your performance, they feel like they know you. And that can be really confusing because like yeah. I kind of assume sometimes when someone's talking to me like that, like very familiar, I'm like, oh, maybe they just are really friendly. Yeah. But, like we don't actually know each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that's it. Yeah, no, exactly. Because there's, there's there's plenty of people, but then we have got like friends who are in other bands that are like peer bands, you know, and they at a similar level. Yeah. But then yeah, there's definitely times people walk up to us and they're like. Oh, I love your band so much. Da, 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 da. And they talk to you like they know you. And yeah. it's really kind of, yeah, it takes a minute to kind of be like, ah, uh, do I know you already? See, I would never do that because I always have that perennial fear that even if I've met someone once or twice, that they're not going to recognize me. Well, I so have I, don't... That. I assume no one knows who I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like when, cause I have a mutual friend with uh, Sven from Aborted. And like I've met him a couple of times when they played London and stuff. And like, and like it was, I think it was the underworld, it was them. Cataclysm and Septic Flesh. I love Septic Flesh. I love such a good act. But um, yeah, I just walked past them backstage and I kind of just done the fucking bro handshake with them. And I was like, do you know what? I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to let him think that that was a first time interaction, but I'll pretend that he recognized me and then just move on. (laughs) But that was a good gig, actually. I I once met someone about three or four times and each time forgot who they were. Yeah. In like the space of one summer. And it became like a running joke where you'd be like, oh, do you remember who I am? And I'd be like, no. <laughs> it was really awkward for a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like, it's been... When we go back to social <clears throat> things, I'm not going to recognise anyone. I think yeah. you should just That's pretend fair. to be like that guy in Arrested Development and say you have face blindness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do have that <laughs> I do! No, but you know why? Because when, when we started doing rehearsals and we'd meet up in the street, I would walk past you every time. <laughs> Honestly, even when we were dating, like we'd meet somewhere and I'd just walk straight past Shem. Sometimes yeah. he'd have to like he'd be like waving at me and I wouldn't see him. Yeah. So like seriously, it's not personal. I'm so sorry oh, that man. I've ever seen anyone. That happened with Amy once. We were both <laughs> meeting up to go to Pizza Express with her family and like we we're both walking down Oxford Street at the same time and she like walked past me and I'm just like oh. uh, so I kinda of saw her from the side and then behind and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Amy. I was like, let me just okay, those clothes are definitely oh, I'm not this sure. is Amy. So like yeah. I like fucking went to tap her on the shoulder and she shit herself. Like, <laughs> she almost turned around and beat the shit out of me. I was like, ah, it's just me, it's just me. And I was like, not a good idea to tap a random woman on the shoulder. I've done that at shows thinking people are Shem. Yeah. Oh. I've like tapped a guy on the shoulder and just been like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> she 
you know, my youngest brother did once. This is a hilarious story. It's, um, he thought he saw my five-year-old niece in the supermarket. Oh, God. And was oh going to run God. up behind her and give her a big hug oh and pick her up. God. He picked up a random child and then had to explain to this five-year-old. Oh, my God. That's so awkward. <laughs> yeah. But it was a what moment. Uh, oh do you ever do that thing in the supermarket where you'd lose your mum and you just go up to a random person and like tug on their coat and they'd just be a, and they'd be like a nightmare moment. You're like, oh, that's not my mum. <laughs> not not recently, but um, no. But yeah, yeah, that does happen. <laughs> when you were in school, did you ever call a teacher mum by mistake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did the adult version of the Tesco thing because we were in Tesco a few weeks ago. And this is like how boring my life has become. I kept. There was this woman in Tesco who had like a similar coat to Shem and I kept almost putting my food in her trolley. <laughs> and like, it happened like three times and each time I was like, I'm so sorry. And she'd just look at me like, okay, mate. <laughs> so awkward. But anyway. Moray Cognition. Moray Cognition. You sound like you're ordering something for the menu. It's, me it's Meg Cognition and no one can tell me otherwise. So, um... How I try. Yeah, great job, bravo, Jacob. I thought it was a fantastic album. It That's was amazing, like, and, and a big great. bonus for me was um, what I do whenever we're going to review an album is I always check to make sure that no one who is doing the music is a, a, a person of bad taste. Um, apart from Behemoth, obviously, like the first the first week, I didn't review that. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a Facebook group called Is It Flashed Musical. I strongly recommend it for people who who care about the ethical consumption of music or whatever that you would call it. But I, I basically just typed in, is this band fash? And I typed in Mario Pennington and about, in like five seconds, three people were like, they're great. And then after like 10 minutes, the guy himself commented being like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really nice moment. Like it was, it, usually in that group you type something in and they just turn out to be like child murderers and awful things, but um, yeah, it was just lovely to, to listen to some good black metal that was just nice and no one, yeah. no one wants to murder anybody and everyone's cool. It yeah, it is a, a, rare, a rare find. Super rare. Like, it made yeah. me legitimately enjoy the music a lot more and Spectral Laurel's also outspoken anti-fascists as well, so yeah. that's bloody good. They've got some good albums, they're worth checking out. The, bo both of them, their collaborations are so good. It's been a while that you've tried to get me back into black metal. Partly for this, <laughs> so I'm really happy that I've found some like actively. I think yeah. there's there's more happening. There's um, it's like everything. You just got to dig deep enough, and I think yeah. that's like the same with most subgenres. You know, of, uh, specifically with metal. You know, there's um, so much shit that is. I've said this word so much, but there's just so homogenous and hackneyed and just copies of other. You know, like why would you rather listen to something that's a pale? Why would you want to listen to something that is a pale imitation of something that was done better twenty years previously? And, you know, that's kind of like my general opinion of a lot of death metal that's coming through. And even now, because it's like the whole OSDM, so old school death metal revival thing is super big at the moment. Super, super big. And there's some bands doing some cool shit. But to me, this is the sound of back then. Mm. And I, mean, I prefer more like what bands like um, uh, Cryptic Shift are doing. You know, oh, it's yeah, like, you know, exactly. Like, you know, taking the technical mold and just doing something that's a bit different. And it's okay to have influences from the past, but, you know... No one wants to hear an homage to a passage of music that's already existed. You'd go and listen to the music. Yeah. Because how could you... Like, the thing is, if you're trying to emulate a time, I think it's very difficult because you cannot emulate 
the like social structures and what was happening, like how you felt when you first listened to it. You can't yeah. make someone seven years old and discovering a band again, but however old you were, like I, I feel like the if you want to capture that emotion, do your thing. Do do distill your essence. You're on one percent battery. Yeah. Distill your essence and just make that like you're gonna do that to someone anyway. Yeah. Surely, as opposed to like you know new metal fucking talk rapping. Yeah, sure, but that, that's why I think kind of like genre bending is kind of like key. So it sounds like some new power from Avatar. <laughs> but that's kind of key because even Pupil Slicer last week, you know, they've got elements of like mathcore and yeah. death metal and stuff. You know, that's what excites me in the scene is when a band can legitimately take musical influence from different subgenres, even ones outside of metal, like White Ward with um, uh, jazz, mm. and they're able to do it in this cogent, like cohesive and like fucking just well-made product. Absolutely. I have the opposite take. I'm totally fine if a death metal band is just a death metal band. And it's just a good sound. I, I mean, there's there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I think yeah. there's both. I think what you said is great, but I also have no problem if a band is just doing you straight down the middle of the road really well, yeah. you know? See, man, do you not 100% agree? Like, I fucking love Beta. Like, I think they're great. Every, you listen to a Vader album, you know it's going to be, they're like the ACDC or the Motorhead of like the extreme metal genre. And like, <laughs> and, you know, I think there's definitely room for that. And it just depends on my mood, you know, if I want to, I, sometimes I feel like I want my um, ears to be challenged. Yeah. And there's other times where I want something that feels familiar. And like, and that's why I love death metal so much because I really love the core sound of it. And there's yeah. so much of it, you know, like if something sounds Swedish, I immediately love it. I'm like, oh, that sounds mm. like Entombed, great. Yeah. No. Yeah. Rest in peace, LG. Oh, yeah. Oh. On that note... <laughs> yeah, on that sombre note, yeah. Yeah, we should probably uh, wrap this shit up. So, thank you for watching and listening and putting up with our, our ramblings and mumblings and laughings and ravings. Feel free to recommend albums, feel free to like and subscribe and check us out on Instagram and Facebook and leave us a review on Google, stalk our mums, uh, don't do that. Um, but, you know, just... You, Interact with us, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, thanks for listening slash watching. Goodbye.